Yeah, Flint, Annapolis, sir. Do you have any test operations restricted area 2508? Area 31, Roger. Traffic is quite luminous and is exhibiting some non-ballistic motion, over. Roger, Area 31. Continue to sign at your discretion, over. Okay, Senator. The traffic is approaching head-on, ultra right, and really moving. They're right by us, right now. There are a thousand UFO sightings reported around the world every month. 90% of these sightings can be explained, but 10% cannot. Officially and unofficially, the U.S. military has been investigating UFOs since 1947. Their top secret goal is to find out what's behind these unexplained sightings. The Pentagon classifies them as unusual airborne anomalies, but a better term is X-Files. Join us now as Mac 1-1 and Commander Cobra explore these unsolved cases, UFO incidents that baffle even the U.S. military. This is Mac Maloney's Military X-Files. And now, here's Mac Maloney. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Mac Maloney's Military X-Files show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Well, the show we have for you tonight. But first, girls, we have to warn you, as you know. Oh, it. Let's start again. You know, ah, uh, girls, ah, uh, it. I'll tell no, you. I'm sorry. I'm, because... I'm, just, I'm just glad that uh, Lois is yes. here to keep this kind of clean and calm. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> this, this goes on all night like this. 13 before. seconds into it. All right, here we go. <laughs> well, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to Maloney's Miltrax Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Wow. What a show we have for you tonight. First, uh, girls. Get ready. Sit yourselves down. You might get the vapors. You have, you'll have. you need your fan, your mister, your big box of Kleenex, and that extra big box of wipes because the very famous Juan Juan is here. Hey, Mac. Hello, everybody. Hello, girls and guys. We can't leave the guys out of the thing. you got a kind of beatnik thing going here. Yeah, uh, I do. Yep. Uh, got French the glasses. Look I got going on here. Got the hat. Okay. All right. Good. Everything yeah, good with yeah. you? Th- does it appeal to you, this new look I have? It's, nothing you do doesn't appeal to me, though. Buddy. Okay, great. Yes, everything uh, is fine and oh dandy with me. Everything is a-okay. I don't have my shades on. Hang on. Yep. Have a good right. day at the office. Here we go. Uh, okay, so way up there in uh, the Great White North, dressed as a pirate apparently tonight, we know him as Commander Cobra. He's known on the streets as Coco, but we know him as Commander Cobra. I guess for the listening audience, I believe that was pirate, not parrot. I am not Did wearing I feathers that? tonight. I hate to get ahead in the costumes uh, there, Mac. It's still and, early. Uh, it's still early. And the uh, I love the affirmative of the double negative that you used to I know. Uh, approve of JJ's look. That was classically Did, done. Did I insult him? wingman yeah. extraordinary. Did I insult him or compliment him? I don't know. Hey, Cobra, I like that look, though. Thank you. This is this is the gear you wear underneath the uh, headset for, uh, uh, for my uh, sword work. <laughs> Once oh, again, okay, might be inappropriate. We don't. What know. kind of a sword do you have? Don't. Come. I have a, do we I really have a want samurai to... sword. <laughs> you do. A couple of them, in fact. Is nope. it a what's the brand there on Kill Bill that was very? <laughs> I'm not sure what the brand on Kill Bill uh, was, Hansu, but they're, the... they're called a katana. A national that size of blade. That's, a national correspondent. It's getting the Hansu something sword that. Okay, yeah. Benny Hanna, let's get the other. Our okay, national correspondent okay? is getting anxious because <laughs> we haven't Remember introduced him. Samurai, uh, samurai, whatever, samurai deli. Right, there you go. <laughs> samurai, uh, samurai optometrist. There you go. Oh, that's my See? favorite. Bifocals. Okay, do you want to? Uh, let me introduce. I could watch that all night. A buddy up there in the bowl of flakes. Um, what's the name of it again? Battle Creek of the Republican. <laughs> Battle Creek of the Republic. <laughs> Holy cow. The, the best of you each morning. You Battle can't forget Creek, that. Battle Creek of the Republic. Uh, switch plays Steve Wood. It is great to be here. Good. Good. How's things with you? I am beyond wonderful. Beyond wonderful. That's what we like to hear. Yep. That's the name of his upcoming autobiography. 
Switchy, hey, how's the writing coming? Switch. You're so close to uh, the Kellogg's plant. Could you actually smell them? General being Mills. Baked, like the flakes or something? Can you get any aromas wafting in your No, bedroom? it's. Uh, I, I used to be able to hear the, the snap, crackle, okay. pop. If you right. if the wind was in really? the right direction, window open, really? and not too much traffic outside, I could just barely hear it. Really? Did they yeah. test it in milk or what? Is that what they do? Uh, that's beyond my pay grade. I, uh, you know. Two-hour show. Okay, so listen, we have a special guest here with us, so which means we all have to, well, I have to behave myself. You guys can do anything you want. We sure do. <clears throat> the very famous Lois Lane is with us tonight. Lois Lane. Hello. Hi, Lois. It's funny that Lois wasn't here for your questions. Either worse. Hello, Lois. How are you tonight? I'm great, thank you. Okay. How's everybody doing? Can you get right close to the microphone? As Ooh, when she goes in the sunshine, she looks very angelic. Very, I know it. Oh, okay. This highlights is okay. bouncing off her hair like, wow. Well, uh, Lois has uh, joined us tonight. Thank you, Lois. And so let's just talk about uh, who's on the show tonight. So for us, we're going to be talking to Amy Martin, who is someone who was connected uh, with Odd Bell and Coast to Coast for a long time. She is now at uh, Midnight FM, which is a new network that we are on. We'll be talking more about that uh, later on tonight. We'll be talking to Amy, hopefully, in a few minutes. And also um, coming up uh, at uh, later on in about an hour or so, we're going to be talking to John Jackson Miller, our friend, who is a, a Star Trek author. He has a new Star Trek book out, and he has uh, used an idea, I believe. He can uh, fill us in. But I think this is something I've thought about since I started reading science fiction. How about a battle, a war between two universes? You know, can you get any bigger than that? I think that's what this book is about. We'll let him I don't think uh, so. tell us. And I, I, there's uh, one on TV right now about two universes actually going to war against each other. It's it's kind of it's mm -hmm. a counterpart. I don't know if you've seen mm -hmm. it. It's on uh, one of the Netflix or mm -hmm. Primes, and the Earth, our Earth, our universe split oh. uh, mm -hmm. twenty something years ago, and they figure out how to go back and forth, and there's the exact duplicate if they're still alive on the other side. Wow. That's cool. And the other side uh, thinks that we gave them the flu and it wiped them out. Oh. It's got a yeah. It's pretty wild. Yeah, uh, what's going on? Sounds... And there was the TV show Fringe, which yeah, lasted Fringe, about yeah. four or five seasons, okay. which uh, uh, dealt with that. And it was, it was very cool because the uh, uh, the storyline kind of unfolded very slowly. You didn't realize it was another dimension and a parallel reality until toward the end of the first season. And then it got him more involved. I have a, but no yeah. one's actually taken on the other universe knows and attacks. That there you would go. Be, yeah, that'd be cool. Pretty interesting. I have a long, sad story about the TV show Fringe that I know Lois knows, and it's another show. But I wound up for um, watching every Fringe episode within – I, I invented binge watching. It had to be three weeks. I watched every yeah, single. Yeah, I, I remember this going on. Right. Yeah. And uh, anyway, they wanted someone to write the books, and they wanted someone. They wanted that someone to live in Los Angeles. So. Yes. Uh, that no, didn't appeal to you. No can do. Yeah. Yeah. No. Fringe was it good, is a but sad story. But like, uh, well, you, you should have been there. Um, <laughs> was, uh, Fringe was good, but. Yeah, um, it got it, it. It fell apart at the end. It fell apart it, at the it, end. It, yeah, its writing was just not there because they I thought that would have been fun to see you make the books of it. But yeah, but, but the, and the books never came out. But what happened was uh, they kept getting canceled and not canceled, canceled. Right. So they had to like get the whole gang back together, and it was a mess. So anyway, uh, so but listen, before we get to uh, next guest, uh, we're gonna um, lay a surprise on a surprise guest tonight, Lois Lane. Uh, we have a game that we've been uh, uh oh. We have a uh, a bit that we do called either R, 
And uh, so we're going to do either off or lowest lane, and Switch is going to be the one reading the either or. Okay, so oh, what a class yeah. move that was! So well, uh, from, look from out. the shock on Lois Lane's yeah. face. Juan, if I, I'm up your house, I might be sleeping yeah. on your couch tonight. The sunglasses coming out of the hair is a definite <laughs> <Yeah>. signal. <laughs> Leave the door open. Leave the door unlocked. Okay, why don't we do it? Yeah, either off or lowest lane. Switchy number ten, please. Number ten, Cracker Jacks or Kettle Corn? Cracker Jacks or Kettle Corn, Lois. Kettle corn. Kettle corn. Okay. Number nine. Switch. Fried Oreos or fried Twinkies? Fried Oreos or fried Twinkies? Well, if I have to pick one, it would be fried Oreos. There you go. Okay. Number eight, please. Switch. Number eight. I'm going to confess uh, some of these are a bit cryptic, and I'm not quite sure what they mean, but I'm, I'm just going to steam ahead. Okay. okay. Obi-Wan or Jules? Obi-Wan or Jules? Obi-Wan or Jules? Two dogs you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was cryptic for Lois, too. Yes. I was thinking Jules. I got that. Okay. All right. Um, oh, wow. So, uh, wow. That... I want you to know that Bear's in the room, too. Bear is in the room, so, so don't, don't make him feel bad. <laughs> when, you know, you like them both, I okay. would have to say it's a tie. Well, you, you can either pick the you big, can't have ties. The big dumb Labrador or the cutoff. No either or. But they, you have said both. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I, 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 okay. Flag on this play. Oh, right. For those of you that are not familiar with it, that's something that they used to do in football when they used to play that game. Yeah, right. Flag on the play. Both what? is allowed. Kids. Okay, next one, please, Switchy. Okay. Uh, the next one, uh, th this may also present some problems. Uh, on the other hand, it may not. Coco or one one. Ooh, Coco or one one. Go for the go for the ejection seat handle, Lois. <laughs> the, the ejection seat is switch. <laughs> There you go. That's plan B. Can I say Mac? No? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, we'll say uh, both. Just like the two dogs, both, right? Okay, Switchy, okay. next one, please. Either we're off the lowest lane. You're perfect Vodka? for this, Lois. Right. Vodka or tequila? Vodka or tequila, Lois? Well, uh, vodka. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Getting better. <laughs> next one, please. Switch. Bobby Sherman or Randy Mantooth? <laughs> Would that be... Uh, Emergency man tooth? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. Those were my two crushes. Before and me. Bobby Sherman? <laughs> wow. Well, now you have to choose. Well, now choose. Yeah, wow. Um, I guess Bobby Sherman. Mm. Okay. Oh, and let me compare those pictures online with those they look like today. I'm going to have to get a post for him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, next one, please. Bobby switch. Sherman's still alive or what? Yeah, who knows? I think so. I think so. I just saw him. He was, an e he, is a he was an EMT for a long time. That's what he did after his. He was a what? He was a, an extent. ambulance driver, an EMT. Like oh. uh, go ahead, Switchy. Next one, Switchy. Uh, number four, Hawk Hunter or Chris Starr? Hawk Hunter. Okay. All right. No hesitation. Right a little inside. Okay, next Always one. Always go for the pilot. Right. I like that. Thanks. Go ahead, Switchy. Okay. Uh, number three, the Beatles or the Bay City Rollers? <laughs> <laughs> Beatles. Okay, no, I got All right. Oh, I did like the Bay City Rollers. Okay. You did, huh? D-U-R-D-A-Y, nice. Okay, thank you. I had the socks and everything. Oh, wow, okay. That took a turn. Would wear the socks with the pants rolled up because that's how they did it. No? Yeah. No, okay, we can talk about that after the show. Can you reprise that? What was one of Two hours. Uh, switchy, next one, please. Number two. <clears throat> Get ready, a tough one here. Law and order or law and order. Wow. 
obviously Law and Order. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. And is this the is this the last one, Switch? This is number one, Mac. Number one. Are you ready? Yep. Everybody ready? Okay. Yep. Mac Maloney or Brian Kelleher? What? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wow. That, that is very insane. Whoa, that, that's hurting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Thank that's you, Lois, for uh, not storming out of the room. loser, Brian, instead of yeah, Mac. Okay. Oh, Thank right. you very much, Switch. Um, I okay. like Maloney because it's the M&M thing. You know? Either, uh, yeah, is that right? Well, yeah. So, I'm the only one clapping. Uh, we'll, we'll put that in the post. What's the sound of one hand clapping? We'll sweeten it up in post. Don't worry. Usually me getting hit in the face. Oh. <laughs> Anyway, by one okay. of the goats. Why don't we do this? You might want to talk about that off here. Um, why don't we do this? Why don't we take the first movie? And um, we'll be right back with uh, a guest. You know, you're listening to Macmillan's Miltrack Stuff Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. UFOs are found in Renaissance art, on ancient coins, and etched on cave walls. They're even reported in the Bible. But more surprising is when UFOs are seen the most in times of war. Through centuries, thousands of UFO sightings have been made by high-ranking officials, military pilots, and ordinary soldiers. Often, these fantastic appearances occur at the height of great battles. From World War I to D-Day to Korea, Vietnam, and beyond, military investigators are baffled. Why do UFO sightings spike so drastically during wartime? Could it be mistaken aircraft, or is someone, or something, looking in on us? In UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know, Mac Maloney chronicles centuries of these incredible sightings and tries to solve the puzzle of why so many UFOs are seen while humanity is at war. Read about the scare ships, the ghost planes, and the ghost rockets, alien giants in the jungles of Vietnam, UFOs controlling our ICBM bases, dogfights with flying saucers during the Gulf War, and more. 300 pages of unbelievable stories, along with many startling photographs. That's UFOs in wartime, what they didn't want you to know by Mac Maloney. On sale at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. Style show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. Why, what a show we have for you tonight. But first, girls, we warned you in the previous segment. The very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. Dressed like a Welcome beatnik. back to the show. A little bit of a 50s vibe going on there, right? Is that what you were going for? <laughs> I'm going for uh, uh, waiting for the, uh, what's that movie with Johnny Depp? Waiting Good for though. the Barbarians. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We all saw that. All right. So listen, when we clap for you tonight, <laughs> we'll just snap our fingers, okay? <laughs> We'll just snap our fingers. I don't think it even came out yet. There you go. Uh, way up there in uh, the Great White North, looking out the slits of his bunker with the rest of us, the very famous, equally famous, they know him as Coco on the street. We know him as Commander Cobra. Good evening, gentlemen and lady. Once again, it's a pleasure to be here. And Mac, to answer your earlier question when we were doing some show prep and some uh, secure communications, yes. uh, Mrs. CC is not on a locator tonight. Okay. Earlier in the day, uh, Coco told me that Mrs. Cobra was going out on a girl's night out. Was that the angle? Incognito? Well, you have to up here in the great state of Maine because of uh, of all the things that are going on. Okay. So we have, uh, obviously, uh, 
Mrs. Cobra does not want to have any uh, connection to Commander Cobra oh. this evening, oh, so right. she can right. uh, operate freely. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, maybe TMI, but I asked him, are you going to put a tracking device on her? And he said, no. Oh, no. Yes, okay. Or go pro camera, it sounds <laughs> like. we scanning for that. Anyway. Uh, our national correspondent up there in Battle Creek, Michigan, the home of the Bowl of Flakes, Switchblade Steve Ward. Great to be here tonight. Okay. He has a very... Uh, yeah, that's a cool uh, UFO uh, scene in back of you, the uh, famous cigar-shaped object. Oh, yeah. What windows. I will get back to you in your culinary uh, delights after I introduce our very special guests. In the studio, but not in the in the station, but not in the same room. The very lovely Lois Lane is with us tonight. Lois? Hey, everyone. Hello, Lois. Hi, Lois. What's going on? You got the shades on. She's got the shades on. She's... Trying to fit the, the vibe that everybody's given off. Really? Yeah. Well, that would be interesting. So, it's going to have to be like Rubber Man trying to fit this vibe. <laughs> be all oh, over the place. Sounds filthy, but Rubber Band Man. Listen, I love that song by the Spinners. Um, so, uh, we are going to be uh, talking about green fireballs, the mystery of green fireballs uh, tonight. But before that, the world wants to know Switch, what did you have for breakfast this morning? For breakfast this morning, I had two waffles. Ooh. Now, not not, uh, in not a, in frozen a, waffles, right? Well, yes, it oh. was not in a restaurant with real waitresses and real silverware. These are the kind you put in the toaster. Oh, they're yes. fine. They're you know, fine. You got to put them in through you know maybe one and a half cycles or whatever. Go ahead. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah. In the meantime, I, I made a couple of uh, uh, Jimmy Dean uh, sausages. Good. Sausage oh, patties. Oh, nice. And uh, added uh, plenty of log cabin syrup with uh, with real butter. Mm-hmm. And uh, and hot black coffee. Oh, very mm. healthy. Very healthy. Any sugar in the coffee? You put sugar in your coffee there? No, 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 That's no. That's good. We, That's... We, no, no. Let's keep it in our mind. like a man. Log cabin, though. Right, we don't do this very often, but we're going to bring in a guest on the fly, okay? This is Amy Martin, who is going to be uh, telling us about Midnight FM, the new network we're on. Let's see how. Excellent. Let's see how this goes, okay? Ba ba buddy boom. Okay, so, okay. Hi, Amy. No, it takes a while. For- Hi, Amy. How are you? Hi, Amy. Hi, pretty good. How are you doing? Well, you're, you're on the air. We took you in on the fly. Hi, Amy. Okay? Hello. Okay, so Hi, um, I guess you don't have a camera. That's okay. Can you see us? Yes, I can. Okay, well, this is Mac, and um, uh, below me is uh, Switchblade Steve Watt, our national correspondent. Actually, I'm, I'm to your right from my, my view. Well, it depends. It depends has, on who's weirdos. He has the weirdos T-shirt on. The guy who looks like a beatnik is Juan Juan. I okay, and then the guy who looks like a pirate is Cobra, (laughs) and uh, the one who looks the most normal up there is Lois Lane. Hi there. Okay, so now we're live in the air. So, Amy, you and I were talking uh, earlier today, and um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, the new network, and then we'll get into uh, you know your your history, which is fascinating. Sure, sure. So we founded the network back in late March, sort of early April of this year. Uh, Michelle came to me and uh, also Tim, and we were kind of already acquainted. I previously worked with uh, TJ over at Deep Talk Radio Network, and we were able to come to an agreement which allowed us to take over the assets of that network and to kind of Frankenstein that one and build this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they came to me, um, let me know that there was, I guess, some changes going on at the old network. They wouldn't be on that network anymore. And I decided, hey, you know, I, I really like the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started listening to, to Tim on that show. and. Uh, I, I really like it, and so uh, I've decided to uh, just kind of uh, go with it. And 
So, the so old, we set that up. The old network was Doc Matta Network, right? Doc Matta? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that, that was the network they were on. And, right. and I, uh, of course, I used to work for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the current owners, but, of course, right. Art Bell. So, uh, Art Bell. Yeah. So. You know, Art Bell is uh, he's the patron saint of everyone. You know, without him, none of us would be doing this, okay? But yeah, I, yeah. I, I just have to talk about Doc Matta Radio Network for a second, okay? Because I know a lot of people out there wondering what happened. And um, because we had a lot of listeners on there. Very popular, and, and a lot of people who followed art. You know, it was like the next step from art. Um, but the people who, who bought it, who took it over, from everything I've heard and from my own personal experience with them, um, I don't know what the word is, but uh, let's say disconnected maybe, um, maybe a little bit, um, you know, disconnected, and, um, and, and really fringe people. In, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a business where we have a lot of fringe people, they are very fringe, and... Um, uh, and, and not people we wanted to be associated with, frankly. And that's why we took the show off of Doc Matter, and now we're with, uh, you know, with this new network, which is Midnight at FM, right? Yes, that's that's correct. Okay. That's correct. So so tell us a little bit about Ott, all right? I mean, he, he was someone, like I say, he's a patron saint, you know, and uh, he was the guy who created Coast to Coast out of almost nothing into this uh, juggernaut, right? Oh my gosh. So, uh, I mean, what do you want to know about him? What maybe what it was like to work with him or right. something? Yeah. So, um, kind of how I came, I'll, I'll just maybe start with how I came to work with him. Um, I was just a listener like everybody else. And I had uh, a very, very small podcast that I just started. And um, I called in one night to one of the open line shows. I think the first time I ever called into one of his shows was a, was a truth or trash episode where I retold my own version of the plot to uh, the B movie Manos, the Hands of Fate. Okay. And uh, I don't know if we have any uh, mystery science theater. Fans. Oh, yes. oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I retold the plot to that, and I, I kind of got, um, I kind of got my nerve up to call in again. And uh, the second time I called in, I think he had on Richard Dolan or something, oh, okay, and yeah, I yeah. asked him some uncomfortable questions about oh. Majestic Twelve and Mirage oh. Man. We won't get into. <laughs> did he get a little? Did he? Did he? You know, get into a tiff with you? Uh on the air. He's been known to do that. Yeah. Didn't know who I was though, and I. I, I doubt that he even remembers now but yeah. i'm sure he uh, does yeah, at the end of that call i said something to the effect of to art i said that i would be taking over as his science advisor to read the science news nice. and it was a total choke mm-hmm. but <laughs> little did i know like a week later uh his news guy ran an ad looking for writers and i thought mm-hmm. well maybe this is my chance to do a little bit of science writing on on the show or mm-hmm. something you know I, I didn't think much would come of it and uh so he had a, a blog that was attached to i guess his news broadcast Mm-hmm. And I uh, wound up becoming the editor for that, wow. which was a little weird. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a month later, a uh, news guy ended up quitting. And so I got a call from one of the producers of the other shows on the network. And uh, they happened to be kind of an acquaintance of mine. And then later on, I got a call from Art Bell himself to audition. Mm. And uh, that was, I, I was just terrified because <laughs> I was not expecting any of that. Okay. And uh yeah. So every time Art would phone me up, it was just um, there's always this first reaction that I had to hearing his voice talking to me. It's like the radio talking to you. Sure. Yep. And uh, my, my initial reaction was always a panic. Mm-hmm. And um, good then I, I would kind of calm down a little bit. Good place to start panicking. But but yeah. you know, what kind of a guy was he? I mean, he, he was he was an unusual guy, but he seemed like a regular guy at the same time. Well, I mean, yeah, he, he, there are a lot of sides to art, I guess. <laughs> There's the side that all the listeners know of, you know, was Art the Legend. He's the, uh, the talk radio host. Um, privately to his team, you know, I mean, he's always level-headed and uh, pretty straight shooting with me. And uh, we 
he mentored me a little bit, just very little mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of on the radio side of things. Cause okay. he also had me doing uh, affiliate sales work for uh, mm-hmm. trying to get the program distributed to other radio stations. And uh, yeah, um, he, he just minor amount of mentoring with me, pretty hands off. Um, but when he called you, you had to answer the phone. Oh yeah. Sure. And if you didn't answer the phone, he would phone the rest of the team saying, where, yet. where is she? Yeah. <laughs> but he, he was a uh, very, um, you know, he, he, he cared, mm-hmm. but he's not the kind of person that would like express that to you in private so much. Uh-huh. Um, he was just, you know, that was art. And uh, only maybe a couple times did he ever get the chance to really open up to me in private about some things. And one happened to be about uh, just sort of his core beliefs and the afterlife and sort of everything. Uh-huh. And uh, that was just sort of interesting to me. And he, he always took this sort of agnostic perspective. I don't think that was any different than what he portrayed as an on-air personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was kind of fascinating to me. That and the uh, the John Lear thing saying, don't go toward the light, that bothered him. All right. <laughs> Don't that go to really us. bothered him. Don't go towards the light. Yes, that, I believe it was John Lear that told him that. Why would in someone one of his say episodes. that? Why would someone that say really that? Bothered the man. That was he talked about the Lear doctrine, mm-hmm. and John Lear claimed he got that from Whitley Strieber. Don't oh, go towards the light. There's a good so. source. Okay, another phony. Hey, listen, uh, Coco, <laughs> are, are the people that they're talking about the Lear jet people? Yeah, it's yeah. it's the son of right. Uh, uh, John Lear is Bill Lear's son. Oh, okay. All right. Well, Lives in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Very nice man. So, so um, you know, I know Art, you know, he, he had the show, and then I guess he went to Sirius, or he went to satellite radio, and then he came back, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he, um, well, see, before he did the uh, Dark Matter uh, radio network, the digital network, uh, he had the Dark Matter radio show, and I believe that was on Sirius XM. And he got into that, I think, for a few months and didn't particularly like it. Mm-hmm. Kind of what I'd heard sort of whispers from the background was that he was sort of tired of getting calls. And it was only calls from truckers. <laughs> it wasn't that he didn't like truckers. Right. It was just that he didn't have the variety of callers that he was used to having when they would call into the show. And uh, I don't think he liked that in particular. And I don't know if there were any other aspects in there to why he didn't want to or choose to continue with them mm-hmm. but i do remember that when he quit that there was a, a i guess like a two-year non-compete he had to fulfill right and right. um because I, I think he was paid a significant sum i don't i don't know the details of all that but uh he had a two-year non-compete and i know that during that time was when keith decided to start working on the network at that time i don't think keith had ever had any radio experience or done anything like <laughs> like mm-hmm. that before so there he he took to uh, working on building this thing, and uh, it took two years to do that. And so when Art came on the air, and when he left, it was it was a real heartbreak to all of us mm-hmm, yeah. um, because we were just uh, it, it was just it was almost like at that point, you know, it, it was like going into mourning because we've right, all sure. done a lot of work, and we had a whole lot of other deals and things in the works at that point, and other terrestrial affiliates that we were bringing on, and mm-hmm. it was just yeah, wow. Wish we could have had longer with with Art, but hey, right. So. You know, at the end of the day, was he, I know that he at one point thought that he had enemies out there or whatever. Um, I don't really know all the details about that. Um, I, I just, I kind of know sort of from my own personal experience, the private hell of not knowing mm-hmm. exactly what was going on. Sure. And, you know, there's, you hear from art and uh, I, I can tell you there's, there's not much different that he said on air that he said behind the scenes. Sure. And um, it was all particularly scary for people that worked on the team because we didn't know really who this person was or what the whole deal was. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Wow. But so far as all that, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into all no, the right. details sure. there because there's still a lot of private information. But, right. and, and there were uh, there were lawsuits, there were different lawsuits, and so on. You know, I mean, he he didn't live a um, an, an unbumpy life, but he was he was to me. I mean, when I used to listen to it a long, long time ago, he was a larger than life guy. He was the he was like um, he was that voice on the radio when you're driving at 1 a.m. for some reason. You know? Oh was, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. And it turned out and there were a lot kind of people of going back that. to sort of like, I guess, legal things and art, you know, I, I don't know very much about all that. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do know that as kind of as a result of just doing the show for the few months that I did with him, I can kind of see how you could become, you know, really protective of mm-hmm. your name and yep. uh, really protective of, of some things. Cause you know, I've, I've had some creepy people mm-hmm. just saying, you know, <laughs> since then, and it's, Maybe looking it's at been what, five right years now, since then. Just, just, just looking at the screen right here tonight That's for right. you uh, probably adds to take, that. Take a pick. <laughs> So, um, well, tell us a little bit about Midnight FM. What's what's in the future? Okay, so for the future of Midnight FM, I mean, we have a lot of other shows that are uh, onboarding right now. We have some people that might have worked at radio stations before, which might not exactly still be open yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're they're all kind of coming together. We've got some other shows that are going to be coming on in August. Nice. Uh, I don't know if Tim is ready for me to make that announcement yet, uh, but we have a lot of good shows, some original shows, some people that you've probably never heard of, okay. and a lot of old friends to other listeners. Nice. That's nice. And I think we're starting, we started last week at, at midnight on Saturday nights. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. You're going to be on midnight uh, central time. So that's 1 a.m. Eastern cool. and 10 p.m. Pacific. The later, the better, really, in a way. So. <laughs> yep. Listen, Amy, thanks for joining us, okay? And we really appreciate it. And um, Thank you for having me. You know, anything we can do to just, you know, um, you know promote Midnight FM or whatever, just uh, let us know. We'll be glad to do it. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks, Amy. Thanks a lot, Amy. Thank you very Thank much. You. Let's, give her a hand of, let's, let's give her a round of applause, please. Right. For, for Thank you, Amy. Talk to you soon. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take a commercial break now? And we'll be right back after listening. You're listening to Mac Maloney's Milk Tracks Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. I was in the hospital with my son for 18 months. When he got injured, I wasn't prepared, but I knew I had to be strong. When I was told about John's injury, I was in complete shock. I just remember rushing into his room and giving him a big hug and letting him know I was there. These veterans and families are just a few of the heroes we serve at Homes for Our Troops. For thousands of severely injured veterans, everyday life is filled with barriers. It was really the the little things throughout the house. Counters that you can't roll up to. I had to drag my wheelchair down steps. I want to help, but he is so determined. At Homes for Our Troops, we build specially adapted custom homes with features like wheelchair access, roll-in showers, and automatic door openers that allow them to function independently and focus on their recovery and family. This house is freedom. It's hope. It's a new beginning. This house has given me my family back. To learn more, visit hfotusa.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Mac Maloney's Track Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Mac Maloney. What a show we have for you tonight. Uh, but first, let me uh, introduce the members of the posse, or the poussé, as they say on the streets of Paris. Girls, very famous Juan Juan is here. Hello, Mac. Okay. Hello, girls. Welcome back to the show. Doing that beatnik thing. Fun so far. 1958 beatnik thing. Just snap your fingers for us on the camera there, real quick there, JJ. There you go. You got it. You got the swing there, brother. 
also up there further north, up in the Great White North, great state of Maine, looking out of his bunker at the rest of us, Commander Cobra. Coco, how you doing? Good evening, gentlemen and lady. Uh, Switchblade Steve Ward up there in the Bowl of Flakes, Battle Creek, Michigan. Switchy. Great to be here. Two waffles into the day. Two waffles and two sausages into the day, right? That's right. Okay. A lot of maple syrup, a lot of butter. Sausage patties. Well, uh, a medium amount of syrup. I don't go crazy. That's I mean, good. I, I have some restraint. It's good for your arteries. Don't believe what they tell you. They make sure that all the cells of those waffles are all filled up with syrup right to the top. Yeah, oh. No, no. They, that's, Who no that's, not, that's, not, that's not proper. No, it's not? No. About half. About half. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Also, that's also, how I do it. A special guest <laughs> in, the, in the studio with us tonight, and I'm surprised she's still here. Lois Lane. Lois, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. How is everybody else? Okay. Come a little bit Very closer good, to the microphone there. And the camera so we can see you. Okay, there you go. Okay, Lois, thanks for staying with us and hanging in with us. Now, our special guest tonight, uh, good friend, John Jackson Miller, out there in, uh, where are you anyway, John? I'm in the dead center of Wisconsin, uh, accent on the dead. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> there goes that sponsorship from the state tourism of Wisconsin, but that's okay. Oh, no, no, we're, we're middle of nowhere. In fact, uh, it's, a, it's a death tourism area. We're just about uh, 20 miles away from where Ed Gein lived. That was the guy that Psycho was about. So. Oh, well, okay, all right. Oh. So, so yeah, he, he did some really nice uh, handicraft at his house, that's if okay. I remember correctly, with uh, implements and uh, utensils and, and you know, knickknacks around the house. Very, yeah, uh, very cottagey industry kind of guy. Right. Wisconsin okay. has more than its share of authors and serial killers. Really? Yeah. Is that a coincidence? <laughs> well, you know, pick a line, pick a side, but don't don't flirt it. You know what I mean? You know, don't be both. Well, pick you gotta, one. You got to write Wait, about you something. Said right? Cottage industry. You didn't mean cottage cheese, though, right, Cobra? Oh no, no, no. Okay. But what they do have to balance all that out is the Kringle. That is true. That is true. What is the Kringle? To That's, die for. Uh, what is I have that? Exported them to many people. That's <laughs> right. Even though people can buy them online. You you want to get them right from somebody from WI? Tell us what you know, Kringle is. Have. Please the tell beast us. The beast of Bray Road. Let's start. Let's start with the Kringle. Explain the Kringle, please. Kringle is a uh, big long pastry. Want, yeah, yes. it's, it's a it's a round pastry. You, you can't eat just a little bit of it either. Oh. You say I'll just have a little slice. You Even know? you I'll slice it like a piece of pie yeah. or something. You know, wow, it's huh. like a Danish, but it's to die for. Does it have filling like apple filling or anything? It cool does. Like it that? has oh. a multiple flavors. Yeah. Yep. A Kringle. Mm. Okay. All right. Yep. And if the Google. It's sweet, but it's not icky sweet. It's just, it's it's very addictive. I'll tell you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just just yeah. what I need. You can eat the whole thing. You know it. <laughs> Another it, it, one. Is it, a, is it a good breakfast? Another monkey. Yeah. Oh. Well, at worst, it's a foot long pop tart. So, yeah. Oh. I mean. <laughs> Those oh, are the magic like words. needs to get that, mailed to uh, to switch yeah. for a breakfast uh, test flight right there. Okay. Yep. Uh, uh, Battle Creek uh, Dropbox. So uh, try a Kringle, which with a K. So, John, now you are the author of uh, Star Trek books. You have a new one coming out, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's uh, behind me here. Uh, Star Trek Discovery Die Standing. It comes out uh, a week from today as, uh, as we're uh, doing this. Okay. Cool. And uh, that is a, uh, a tie-in with the, uh, the Discovery TV series, but it also, in a sense, connects to uh, Section 31 uh, in that the main character in the book is a... Uh, a Section 31 agent, or rather, they expect her to be. Okay. Uh, it doesn't quite work out. It's it's a it's a this is about Michelle Yeoh's character from uh, the Discovery uh, series. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how much we want to get into it. Uh, the whole thing. It, it, you know? But she's uh, basically uh, for people. Spoiler warning for people who haven't seen the show. Okay. Uh, she plays two roles. She plays Captain Georgiou, who is 
the mentor, the, the great captain uh, of, uh, of the USS Shenzhou, uh, who in the first season, uh, you know, we, well, she's not there very long, uh, but later on in the season, we meet uh, the emperor of the mirror universe. And we discover that uh, Georgiou is actually the emperor of the mirror universe. So let me ask you this, though. Uh, how long does it take you to write one of these books? And do they tell do they give you points to write or they just say write it? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's something where, uh, as we've been doing these books, both uh, both this novel and the previous novel, which was uh, the Enterprise War, uh, mm -hmm. which ties in with uh, Captain Pike and the crew that's going to be on uh, on uh, St Strange New Worlds, the new series. Mm -hmm. uh, for both of those, I worked with uh, Kirsten Beyer, uh, who is one of the co-creators of the Picard series. Okay. Uh, she's in the story group at, uh, or rather, she's in the, the story room uh, with Discovery. And, uh, you know, she basically gave me some places where I could jump off from to write my novel cool. uh, and and suggested, you know, what might be going on in the TV show in this particular point in time or whatever. Nice. nice. Uh, yeah. And and so, uh, you know, these are these are you know, as as official as we can make these things. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, and uh, it's it's just a very different uh, world than back in the day when, you know, you write one of these books and it would have no connection whatsoever to right. the the show or anything else we have a lot of involvement that's cool in in, in the, the with the mirror universes and stuff you're able to bring back all the old characters and it's very cool how 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 they do it you know so how how long is the book and how long did they take give you to write it yeah it's about 400 pages it's a, a you know these novels run over a hundred thousand words right. uh you know i uh took longer this time than than i normally do uh just because i was out promoting the previous book okay uh but uh, yeah, it's it's usually I can knock it out in three or four months. Really? Uh, and oh then, my God. And then there's about two or three months that are they're there for, uh, you know, proofreading and right. catching all the errors. And I, you know, I never get them all. I I, I very rarely no have does. something go out that's perfect. But right. That's okay. Right. That's, so is it Red Bull tries. of uh, Red Bull? What do you want? Red Bull, meth? What what, what keeps you on? I mean, I had to ask. It's uh, I I I posted uh, images from. Uh, you know, from Forrest Gump, where he's running cross country back and forth. Uh, you That's know, I uh, when I did a Star Trek trilogy called Prey, P R E Y, a few years ago for uh, for you know, for the Klingons, right? Uh, I, you know, I every time I got to the end of one of the novels in the trilogy because I wrote them in a row, I would post Forrest Gump getting to one ocean and turning around and going to the other one. Uh, and that was, that was really what it was. Boy. I mean, you, 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 it's, a, it's, it's, it's beyond a marathon. Yes. Uh, it's, you've got to go every day or you won't get done. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Now do you, do you start early in the morning or are you seven? Oh God, no. Right. Late at night. <laughs> late at night. No, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, I, for, for years, I was an editor of comics magazines uh, for the comics industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I started writing comics for Marvel and for star Wars, uh, I was doing it moonlighting. I was doing it at night. Yes. Uh, and about 13 years ago, I, I finally got enough work uh, to quit the day job. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, I still only could write late evening wow. and, and at night. That's and interesting. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I've tried to change. It just hasn't worked. Do you know why? You know, because, you know, I, I have a similar thing, I, I have to admit. You know, it's like I, I'll try, but nothing yeah. gets done till around 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock or so, and then something kicks in or something i don't know and then I'll, and then i'll wait till midnight or something you know i i think uh, you know a lot of it goes i was i was working on a daily paper for a long time where mm -hmm. you know you, you you don't the the thing is not going out the door until late at night uh but but also uh you know in there for a good long while 
well, you know, my kids were here. And so, you know, if, if I want to spend any time whatsoever with them during the day, mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> I have to, uh, I have to try to, you know, uh, you know, parcel my time out, but, right. but yeah, I, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, even though I live in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, uh, you know, I, I still, uh, have, you know, the, the, the headphones on. Mm-hmm. So I have absolute, you know, uh, absolute silence. Uh, they're, they're air, oh, cool. air, air, airport tarmac quality headphones. And cool. every time I, every time the FedEx guy comes uh, to the door and I, I'm wearing one of these things, he looks at me like I'm insane. Well, but that's okay. He's that's, probably that's, used uh, to that. So how many books yeah. have you written in, in your uh, career? Uh, well, uh, uh, the uh, the die standing book is the ninth or tenth novel, depending on how you count. Okay. Uh, with uh, with the Star Wars and the other stuff, uh, graphic novels. Uh, there have been twenty or more. Wow. Uh, you know, composed of over a hundred comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and then you know, going further back, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've edited just you know hundreds and hundreds of magazines sure. and, and other books. Well, let me ask you uh, something. So it's it's a it's a it's been uh, it's been a busy life. Okay. But, but let, let's be honest. Isn't writing a book a real pain in the ass, though? Isn't it uh, it's, really? It's it's work. Uh, you know, there are people who say they absolutely, you know, they're they're driven to write and they oh, love doing it. I love having written. Uh, I uh, I'm really 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 upset that I have been shortchanged on this book of the reward that I got for writing the last one and oh, every other mm, one, mm. which is getting to go out to the conventions. Yeah, sure. And actually. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. Yammer about the book randomly to strangers. Well, the time, yeah, the time, uh, the time for that is going to come. Though. The panels are, or, or, you know, signing at the table. Right. Um, so, 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 do you? Um, I mean, it, do you have to watch? I mean, what do you watch? Do you watch Star Trek endlessly or every new thing? I mean, it, it, did they send it to you early or anything like that? Uh, well, it, you know, I, what I found is that you can't really fake, uh, you know, knowing this stuff. Sure. I, I used to, you know, I, I, I've taken a lot of stuff for different licenses. I've, I've written a lot of video game uh, fiction and uh, and comics, but I found that if I don't play the games, uh, it's hard to actually, you know, I, I've done Halo stuff and and Mass Effect. Sure. Uh, if I don't play the if I don't play the games, it's hard to actually, you know, fake uh, the level of, uh, you know, enthusiasm right. for it, uh, you know, but. Yeah, if it's something like Star Wars or Star Trek, I've watched most of it already. I did you know, something for Planet of the Apes a few years ago, tying mm. in the original movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know th- that that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, la- last year I did a, a Battlestar Galactica uh, graphic novel for the uh, for the 40th anniversary of the original show. Yes. You know, I that's kind of, that's the kind of stuff where if I need to research it, it's just a refresher. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you know, for the new stuff, like again, you know, Die Standing does you know connect to uh, the Discovery series, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I I do get uh, you know briefed in uh, to what they have coming up. Sure, yeah, that's uh, cool. And uh, same thing in particular with uh, with the Enterprise War book, which uh, is is also out. These these are all available in audiobook, ebook, and uh, and uh, you know uh, paperback. Right. Uh, and, and, and I'm looking forward to hear looking forward to hearing the audiobook because uh, those are always a blast. So now you've we found out last time that you were on the show that you do Star Trek, but also Star Wars books, right? You have done Star right. Wars books. Okay. That's right. Uh, I mean, what, I, uh, what do you have to do? Well, I mean, is it a different vibe you have to get into, use a showbiz term? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are stories that you can't really tell in Star Wars because there's too much science. Uh, wow, you know, interesting. You, you, can, you, can, you can go off and have characters talk about, uh, you, know, uh, you know, warp drive and interdimensional travel and time travel and that kind of stuff. Uh, and the Star Trek fans will expect that, and they'll they'll dig on it and they'll eat it up. Uh, Star Wars uh, is a space opera. It's a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is 
you, you can lean on it to a degree, but otherwise, uh, you know, you don't really want to uh, go too 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 far into it. Uh, but I mean, you know, Star Trek. If if you like that sort of thing, where you're you you have to care about the 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 inner details of how things work. Yep. Uh, you know, I I had the owner's manual for the uh, for the Klingon bird of prey that I was using uh, to uh, to when I was doing the the prey novels a few years ago. Uh, the Enterprise War novel, likewise. Um, you know, I had all the all the blueprints of the original Enterprise and was having all these fascinating debates with the guy that was proofreading the book for Simon and Schuster over you know where this thing is and if I take this part of the Enterprise away, uh-huh. do the transporter still work and that sort of thing? So oh, yeah, again, yeah. That, that's that's kind of expected, uh, but you know, otherwise, I just have to be careful. You know, I, you know, Star Wars has blasters, Star Trek has phasers. Uh, unless <laughs> don't mix those guys. up. I'm gonna... the bad guys, in which case they have disruptors. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna throw it. To, I'm gonna throw it to switch in a second, but I'm just gonna ask you. You know, yes or no? What do you like better, Star Trek, Star Wars? Uh, I I think they both pay the bills, and I'm happy with them. Bada bang! Okay, uh, Switchy, you must uh, have a question. Switch. You know, it's it's like no, it's it's uh, it's like beef or chicken. I mean, you can't live with just one thing. Okay, and, sure you can. You know, I, I, yeah, sure you He's can. a vegetarian. Uh, I, you'd, rather, you'd, you'd rather not. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I I prefer to do it the way I'm doing it. No beef. Okay, I'm, I'm okay, very happy. Well, uh, pick two other food groups that you care for. Are a good analogy because I, I, after the original Star Trek series, I've seen most of them. I, I, I think your books are excellent, but uh, the first one kind of captured it all for me. You do a very unique service by, by finding those lacing up all the different uh, mm-hmm. genres and all the different uh, dimensions of it. So, so I think you have more of an opportunity to do that with Star Trek because it's it's a bigger universe, it seems to me, than Star Wars. You know. Well, Absolutely. no. I, it all depends. I mean, you know, uh, the Die Standing is a spy novel. Uh, it's it's a caper. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kenobi novel that was a western. I mean, it, oh, it, you know, it, yeah, and yeah. it's and, it, and it's you know, Obi Wan Kenobi's first month on Tatooine. I mean, it's it, it's it's no, no lightsaber fights, no no uh, you cool. know, no space battles, no anything. There's room in these universes to tell a lot of different kind of stories, a lot of different genres. Cool. Uh, one of my you know, longest uh, running uh, uh, books, or at least one of the books that's, that's been in print the longest, uh, I did a book called Lost Tribe of the Sith for Star Wars, mm. where um, there it, it, it's uh, it's castaways, uh, castaway Sith on a planet with no technology. So it ends up being sword and sorcery, uh, except mm. it's you know, you know, lightsabers and Sith sorcery. Uh, again, it's got a completely different feel than uh, anything else in Star Wars. And uh, you know the, these the, the uh, these these universes they kind of build in a lot of places where you can do stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Switchy, you must have a question or two. Uh, yeah, when I uh, uh, before the, actually the first Star Wars movie came out, uh, there was the, the novel came out uh, by George Lucas, and I started reading this and I thought, well, heck, this sounds like uh, Edmund Hamilton. Are you familiar with uh, his oh, writing? Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. You, you mentioned space opera and space yeah. western. I mean, that's kind of the roots. Uh, yeah. So have you have you is, are your are, are some of your roots back in the old pulp magazines, the great writers like uh, Lee Brackett and uh, yeah, Edmund uh, Hamilton and so forth. Well, yeah, and yeah, Lee Brackett, who uh, you know wrote the first version of the screenplay for *Empire Strikes Back* and was married to, to Hamilton. Yeah. Yes, by the, by yeah. the way, I stay on that for a minute. Wasn't that a stroke of genius? Here she was a screenwriter. I mean, she wrote to co-wrote *The Big Sleep* and yeah. *Rio Bravo*, I think, mm-hmm. and they and, and she wrote that kind of stuff as as fiction. And yeah. so they, I mean, that one of the, the the few times Hollywood got it right and had Lee Brackett do that uh, <laughs> two screenplay. times. Yeah, they had well, to the, uh, they had to be right sometimes. The, uh, 
the uh, yeah, the thing is, obviously, Lucas was drawing on on pulps, and also he was drawing on Saturday morning serials. Yes, yep. uh, right. from exactly. back in the forties. Yeah, you know, pulps and the serials were all before my time. Uh, but the you know the inheritor, uh, you know the 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 heir to the uh, the heir to the pulps is comics. Uh, and that's where I got most of my start okay, from sure. uh, as a comics collector, because uh, you know that that's the only serialized fiction we've got that's left on you know any shelves anywhere. Uh, you know where the where the you know, story come out once a month and you get more mm-hmm. in the next month and it's to be continued. Uh, and so you know it was it was uh, when when George uh, Lucas uh, you know did the did the first movie before it came out. Uh, and actually, yeah, I think right up here I've got a, a patch from the original uh, production cool. uh, team. Uh, uh, 1976. Nice. Uh, he reached. He reached out through uh, through Charlie Lippincott, who just passed away here last month. Uh, his PR guy uh, to San Diego Comic Con in 1976 was bringing people in. He reached out to Marvel uh, and Roy Thomas, uh, who wrote the the comics adaptation, which started running before the uh, the movie came out. And again, likewise, Alan Dean Foster wrote that novel uh, under George Lucas's name. Uh, that came out in December of '76. Right. Uh, so you're looking like five months earlier. Uh, and, and exactly. He's really trying to tie into the uh, you know, these traditions and say that this this is this is authentic. This becomes part of this universe. And you know, it 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 was at home in it. And uh, it, it, I should say it's probably no mistake that the the first grown up novel I ever read uh, was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, uh, which was by oh Alan. yes. Uh, it was written by Alan as a just-in-case sequel to Star Wars in case it failed. That was uh, the first Star Wars novel, right? Besides the first, yeah, the, the first original the novel. That's right. right. Okay. And uh, and the first sort of grown-up comic I read as a kid was Star Wars number one by uh, you know uh, Roy Thomas and Howard Shaken, uh, published by Marvel. Uh, and I was nine years old, and we couldn't even get cool. in to see the movie because that was back before the days of the uh, of the multiplex. Uh, and so I ended up, uh, you know, I I. The, the theater that I saw it in was actually the theater Elvis always went to because I lived three blocks from Graceland. Really? Uh, and so he would always shut down the theater whenever he wanted to watch something at night. Wow. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we finally got into that theater uh, well after I had read the comics. And so I dedicated the novel Kenobi to uh, to my sister for making sure I got in to finally see the movie. Now, now you did you grow up in Memphis or you lived there? You I know? did. I, 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 first half of my life was Memphis. Second half wow. is uh, up here in, uh, in Wisconsin. Wow. So. That's cool, man. Memphis is a, I've been there, you know, I've been to Graceland. Yeah. yeah oh it's, yeah. It's a, uh, I, I, I lived uh, just a few blocks away from Graceland, uh, saw Elvis as a giant silhouette in the back of the car once pulling out of there. Cool. Uh, you know, it's a, uh, I have Elvis uh, stories or stories about the, the, the town for days, but that's another <laughs> broadcast. Does it have to do with teenage girls wrestling in peanut butter or anything like that? Uh, my my sister's cousins in the fifties would go down to the uh, would go down to the uh, the fence and he would come down and he would mm-hmm. kiss girls through the fence. Uh, this, this was before Priscilla. Uh, they they were they were not the locals were not thrilled that Elvis was there because he wasn't yet Elvis. Right. Uh, and and in fact, my dad was not happy with him at all because Elvis and his boys had gotten into a fight with some Marines. And uh, my dad was a Marine at the at the naval base in Millington. Okay. Uh, and uh, if they had gotten a hold of uh, of Elvis, the king might not have lasted very long. Really? Yeah. He'd be the prince. Hey, listen, but you don't have a southern accent, if you don't mind. I'm from Boston saying that to you. 
Yeah, I, I, I learned uh, I learned how to speak from watching TV, I think. Uh, really? uh, my, okay. my mother would put me in front of Sesame Street and, and I would be off. So That's okay. So that's, uh, that's right. That's uh, yeah, you know, look, if I have to talk about like that, well, I, I sure can. But oh, I, wow. okay. really, it is not, you know, it, it really ain't my, my, my style. But, uh, <laughs> well, you don't sound here. like you're from Wisconsin. No, no. Uh, no, Somewhere no, in between. Uh, yeah, they, they, they say them uh, Southerners, they don't talk with the good grammars. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, you know, between two worlds. Okay. Coco, do you, uh, we're, uh, we're talking to, uh, John Jackson Miller, who is a author for Star Trek. The name of the new book is Star Trek Discovery, Die yeah. Standing. Yeah, that's cool, man. I really like it. And, and you're living the life I want to live, you know, because, uh, you know, I was, I'm more of a Star Trek guy than Star Wars, but I can tell you, when I was in film school, as Juan Juan always points out, is at Emerson College, and we went into a film production class one day, and our assignment was they made us go down and watch Star Wars. You know, it was down the little, you know, it was like the 10 o'clock show or whatever. You know, it was crowded, but not full. And then and we, we realized why, because that was a different movie. It really was a different movie. Now yeah. it's, it's hard to look back. It's kind of like, well, the Beatles, you know, they were different you know, if you knew what was going on before then. The cinematic stuff that he brought into that movie, yeah. I know that the fights in space are based on World War One fights and stuff like that, but yeah. it was more than that. The editing was so quick. The editing, it, it was yeah. like the first quick edited movie, you know? And it's and oh, it, yeah. was, it was serial. It looked like the old serials and stuff like that. And then next thing you know, it's over. And it's like, oh, man, that's over. It's like one movie you didn't want to end. Well, Star, Star Trek is born of the 1960s, and it has that... You know, ethic to it and Roddenberry's, uh, you know, Roddenberry's, uh, you know, view of the universe and view of the world there. Star Wars, as I describe it, is really the first movie of the 1980s, uh, sitting yeah. in, uh, sitting in the 19, sitting in the middle of 1977. Right. Sure. Uh, you look at science fiction in the 1970s running up to it. It's all dour and depressing Stupid. and, and the world's in collapse. And we've got Logan's run over here yes, where everybody I, dies at 30. Yeah. We, you know, we got, uh, we got Soylent Green. We got, uh, you know, we've got, uh, you know, Omega got, Man. The, the Omega, Omega Man. Rollerball. Rollerball. Oh, yeah. Rollerball and, uh, and, uh, Silent Running where the last yeah. forest in the, in the, in the, on Earth is going to be destroyed. And, and, you know, I think, you know, actually, I, I, I track it not just to Star Wars, but, the the pivot is uh, is right around the end of uh, the end of uh, seventy six mm -hmm. uh, with Rocky. Um, you know, Rocky uh, still spoiler loses. Go ahead. Um, but it defines a nineteen seventies you know movie up until the point where he actually starts to get up off of the mat and sure. and, and fight again. Well, you know, Star Wars, the good guys win. The next Rocky. He has to win. That's, <laughs> no that's the what. only way, and he has to win at the last second. Sure. Star Wars has taught us that you know the you, you have to actually win in the last possible instant. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so so yeah, no, I I do believe that there's a there's a, a sort of a sea change culturally that takes place, uh, and of course the way that films were marketed mm -hmm. and merchandise and everything else. You know, Star Wars is connected to a lot of this. Uh, you know, Star Trek is too, uh, and it's it's just. Uh, it's it's been great that so many people have been able to make a living messing with this for so long. We're both, you know. I mean, we're lucky kind of as a culture in a way, you know, because I'm a big science fiction fan, have been since a kid. I used to watch Commander Cody reruns. That's how, you know, how much I was into serials. But the thing is, as you were talking about, there were science fiction movies leading up to Star Wars, but they were kind of few and far between, and there was no, you know, they were, like you say, end of the world stuff. And then Star Wars comes, and all of a sudden it's almost like a cowboy movie or whatever, and then, wow, yeah. man, and and the good guys win. And, and and he did a good job. I think the first movie is the best one. First three are great. 
we can talk about the others afterwards. Hey, let's, so, John, thanks for joining us. John Jackson Miller. Say, I got a question. Okay, Don't you go think ahead. that the, one, one. the special effects uh, incorporated in those films with George Lucas having uh, founded Industrial Light and Magic, right? Yeah. Did, didn't, that, didn't that have a lot to do with the really catapulting the franchise into oh, yeah. you know, an extravaganza where you want to see it in, in, yeah. you know, it, in it IMAX changed. now? It changed everything. Uh, you know, I, I've been to Lucasfilm a couple of times, the headquarters. Uh, I was there first for, uh, I, I wrote the adaptation for Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm. the, uh, the comic book adaptation for it. Uh, and and walking around that place, I mean, there's a lot of you know, Lucas's memorabilia. I don't, I don't know what's still there, but a lot of his memorabilia from movies and things. And and there'll be, you know, there's 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 props from movies like the you know, the flattened version of uh, of uh, Judge Doom after he gets run over by the uh, the uh, steamroller in uh, in Roger Rabbit, and, and just these wonderful things here and there. Uh, but one of the things uh, that that is very cool is they've got in a temperature control room. They have the giant compositing machine that they used to film all of the Star Wars special effects on. Oh, nice! The thing that would take all the multiple, you know, cells of yep. the uh, of the of the uh, of the of the film and and merge them together. Uh, and this thing is a monster. And you compare that to you know what they're doing at you know they'll, they'll do it on a computer sure, now. I was going to say People something are doing it from their homes. Yeah, cool. uh, You know, it's I, I think it's really you know it's almost uh, you know it's. Uh, again, a, a 1970s you know thing here. It, it's it's a moonshot. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's it it really was. Uh, his hope was that they would invent solutions along the way that would have spinoff potential later on. Yeah, right. cool. Not just a story that would uh, become important, but they'd have all these pieces that they would be able to turn into other things later on. Right. And he was right, as it turned out. L yeah. Listen, before we go, I just want to ask you. And this just came to me. What do you think of 2001? The movie 2000. Oh gosh, yes. Um, well, the movie 2010. That sure uh, is, sounded Wisconsin there. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. Uh, the, the, the movie 2010 uh, was, it came out in the middle of my Arthur C. Clarke kick, uh, mm. and is actually the reason that uh, I went to grad school. Or not to grad school. I went. I, I went. I went to college uh, with the intention of becoming a a. A, uh, an aeronautical engineer building spaceships, wow. and I started taking Russian at the same time. Cool. Uh, and <laughs> then I then I took calculus and realized I'm a writer. Uh, and so I, I walked took. over the journal walked over the journalism department did did that whole thing. Although I did get a master's degree in in Soviet studies uh, after that, just because I. I, uh, I had nothing better to do for a couple of years. Okay. Uh, and as, as I've said many, many times, the Soviet Union collapsed on my dissertation, which is why I'm not doing well, that. I was going to say, were you bummed out when the wall fell? Uh, <laughs> well, when the, when the wall fell, I was actually in Washington, D.C. with my with my staff at an investigative reporters and editors conference uh, from the college paper. Good time. Uh, what happened was I was on my way from uh, the, uh, the, summer, uh, the summer Russian language program at Indiana University, heading back down to Louisiana, where I was going to college. Uh, with the intention that I was going to, you know, finish my master's degree that year, go to Moscow, go to St. Petersburg, start studying for my doctorate. Ooh. And uh, as I say, literally, while I'm in the car, the coup happens. Uh, Gorbachev is, yes. is taken prisoner by the members of the poet. I remember Bureau, that. Yep. And by the time they rescue him, everything that I was studying vanished. Wow. Oh, and I said, I said, I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to take the masters and go. Mm -hmm. uh, and they said, oh, well, you can continue to write about it. And I'm saying, you have to be a journalist to write about it. Uh, it's all moving too fast. Mm -hmm. Historians are not going to be able to do anything with it for three, four years. 
So again, as I say, I, I went from there to editing magazines about comics. And of course, then the comics industry implodes in the mm -hmm. early 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, and I get to cover that. And um, I'm, I'm now still covering that. I do a website called Comicron.com, Comicron uh, which, uh, which is the monthly sort of billboard magazine for comics. Right. Uh, this, this continues what I used to do. Uh, in terms of in terms of sales charts every month, See, the, the thing uh, and once again we are living through a period where nothing makes sense Post and time. who knows what's selling. Uh, nobody knows. Well, I, I brought up two thousand one, which is interesting because I wrote my dissertation on two thousand one. Okay, the religious implications oh, yeah. of two thousand one, if you can imagine that. And oh, yeah. so, so I, I, you know, just looked into the production of it. And when, when you see it, it's kind of like, it reminds me of what you were talking about with George Lucas, because they did these incredible things in these yeah. most complicated ways where five years yeah. later, you could just like, there's a scene where there's a waitress and, and she's in, they're in a uh, hotel yeah, in yeah. Orbit. The, and the she's, stewardess who's walking yeah, in the centrifuge. She's walking. Yeah. In, yeah. And, what, and what it is, it looks like she's walking up the side of the wall, but what's happened is the camera, the whole set is turning. It's the, it's the oh, yeah. tail wag and the dog and the biggest oh, yeah. way you know but it's it's a great movie i know a lot of people see it and they go what the f is this you know but you got to see it three or four times and you also have to know what's going on you know with the background of the movie because up until three days before that movie came out there was a narration to it and kubrick oh, yeah. at the last minute said let's take out the narration let's make it mysterious yep. and once again great decision great because you had people yeah. talking I, about I, I saw it a million times when me it too. first came out yeah me too i used to see it when we were a little high too and it was great it's just a great movie and kubrick <laughs> yeah, I, was a I, great I, director I, I was i i was uh i was too young to see it when it came out uh, mm -hmm. uh but uh I, I i did enjoy you know 2010 i saw it in in the, the very last 70 millimeter film in one of those theaters that was wired for sense around. That's cool. Yes. Uh, and, and it was just you know, the booming, booming, booming sound effects. We still have one uh, of those so theaters right here at Jordan's down in, um, you know, off of 128 where you can go see the huge screen and they got the sense yeah. around and everything. It's cool. Hey, listen, John, thanks for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. way out there in Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, in the middle of everywhere, as it turns out, um, the name of the book again, when's it, comes, when's it come out? Uh, the name of the book is Star Trek Discovery Die Standing. If people go to my website, farawaypress.com, on the front page right now, there are links to uh, order the book or pre-order the book. It comes out next Tuesday. It comes out on Tuesday. Uh, also have uh, some uh, some ways to get signed copies as well there. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's uh, it's just uh, it's a lot of fun. You don't have to have watched the series to uh, understand to what's going on. Cool. Uh, people can follow me on Twitter at JJM Faraway. Uh, and then on uh, on Facebook, just uh, John Jackson Miller. And, and do they? It, you don't read your own audiobooks, do you? Or do they have someone read it for you? Oh no, no, oh no. The, this audiobook <laughs> is read by January Lavoy, uh, mm -hmm. and she read uh, some of my stuff for one of the previous. Uh, uh, you know, Star Wars does an anthology for the 40th anniversary of these movies, and so mm -hmm. so I I did a story that she read that was in the one for Star Wars three years ago. Yes. Uh, that we have just announced that I am doing a story for. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. That's the that's the anthology that we're doing that's coming out in November. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I don't know if she's going to read that story, but I I wouldn't be surprised if she does. That's great. And one last super quick question. Oh. Sure. Uh, uh, do you have any, uh, what uh, of your novels, do you have any straight original series novels? So oh, for the original series? Yeah, right. right. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Prey trilogy that I wrote, P-R-E-Y, uh, it, it bridges from the uh from the original series to the next generation uh okay. it it follows what happens to the heirs of krug krug of course is christopher lloyd's character from star trek 3 uh the uh the give me genesis guy uh well uh his heirs uh his his heir swears vengeance against kirk and spock and of course that won't work out 
so it ends up becoming a very long game against uh, what will later be uh, Picard and Riker uh, in that trilogy that I wrote for the 50th anniversary. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, Klingons live a very long time. And uh, as they say, uh, wow. He speaks the language. Revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, <laughs> How many times has Cobra said yeah, that? Listen, he said it to me this morning. One last real quick question, because we got to go. Sure. Is there any chance that anyone could write a book in Klingon? Oh, well, there have been, uh, I think they did the Klingon Hamlet. Oh, did... uh, that's, that, that's out there. Oh, oh yeah. no, man. In, in, the, in the original really? Klingon. In the original Klingon? Oh, that's out there. Yeah, that's as opposed to modern Klingon. God, be, you wouldn't want to read that. Right, right. That's well, that's complicated. To be and not to be. Only, only one person in a thousand who reads the books knows it. But uh, when I wrote that trilogy, I made sure to go. Uh, I I I, in, I, uh, I invited the help of a, a an expert, somebody who teaches it sort of for Berlitz, I guess, online or whatever. Uh, wow. And he helped me. In, he helped me invent Klingon words correctly. And when we did the audiobook. Uh, and the audiobook trilogy by uh, Robert Petkoff, it's 54 hours of joy uh, because he does he does over 150 characters, including all these Klingons. And our translator sent him audio files teaching him how to say all the Klingon properly. Wow. And, and much better than I did just then. Uh, <laughs> that's so, crazy. So that's all on Audible. That is that's, excellent. Uh, that's all out there. Hey, John, thanks for joining us again. You know, we'll talk to you soon. Good luck with the book and, um, you know, good luck with everything. Uh, much appreciated. Okay. Uh, as I've said, as I've said before, uh, may the force live long and prosper. Yes, yes, it especially prosper. <laughs> Thanks, John. Thank you, John. Thanks. Hey, listen, you listen to Macmillan's Miltrax Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. Do you know where the world's most secret bases are located? Do you know what spooky action at a distance means? Is there a conspiracy by aliens to prevent us from conquering space? And where is the best place in the United States to see a real UFO? Find the answers to all these questions and more in Mac Maloney's new book, Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe. Visit places you never knew existed, the Phantom Tunnels of Tokyo, the UFO Trail in South America, Hong's Hat, and the very mysterious M Triangle. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe contains hundreds of reports on ghosts, haunted planes and ships, weird celebrity deaths, mysterious sounds, and a breakdown of every monster in America, state by state. You've heard him talk about it on the radio. Now, get all of Mac's paranormal research in one large volume. Mac Maloney's Haunted Universe, with the forward by the very famous Juan Juan. On sale now in your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. show here on the distant thunder radio network this is mac maloney wow what a show we've had so far tonight we still got a way to go girls uh the very famous one one is here hello mac still hello here. girls okay we're your shades there brother put on your shades do we have a, a, an audience turnover during the show like after hour number one and hour number two there's a difference of uh, i'm sure i'm sure where are your shades there listening uh, audience this is more important where are your sunglasses Okay. Yikes. <laughs> you got to be in uniform there. Yeah, I was reading something, you know. Oh, really? Okay. 
There you go. How's that? Uh, it sounds good. Looks good. Uh, also, okay. apparently someone who's also reading something. No, I'll go to Coco. For, Coco, thank you for joining us. You're up there in your bunker in the great state of Maine. And Always a pleasure to be uh, on the wing to uh, join uh, the formation. Now, this is your third costume change, if I'm keeping nope. score? No, no, two. No. We had the small animal incident on the yes. first floor that I had to respond to on the break. Okay. But you also had a large animal incident at your front door, correct? Well, that was all connected. Uh, I believe Teddy the horse wanted to know why the cats and dog were entertaining the chipmunk and he wasn't invited. So he found an open gate from Mrs. Cece and came up to the back door. Wow. Okay. You could do a reality show up there. It could. It, 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 I tell you, but it I would be it. Uh, laced with profanity uh, that better. you could not believe. I could make uh, Mr. Stern learn a thing or two because really? mr stern the howard stern his Maine. talents has not uh, delved into the world of goats who again this week live rent free in my reptile brain you could name it animal <laughs> farm animal farm there you go it that's could. not been no, no infringement no trademark issues there thanks which i'll, get, I'll get the people, lawyers right on it uh, uh cobra people don't read books anymore that's right they listen to them <laughs> uh, the voice you hear is uh, you switch plate steve ward uh, up there in the Great to be here. Mission. There you go. Uh, two sausages, two waffles into the day, correct? Uh, yeah, sausage patties. Sausage patties. You no, know, not links. Oh, okay. And, All right. Uh, yep. yep. All right. Uh, Jimmy Dean, you know, microwave sausage. Jimmy Dean. Okay. And Jimmy Dean's yep. good. Mm -hmm. uh, Ego, I think it was Ego, uh, waffles. Ego yep. is very good. Yeah, Kellogg's made by Kellogg's. Let me just uh, introduce our special guest uh, now that we're talking about food. Uh, the very lovely Lois Lane is in the studio with us tonight. This is rare. Lois. Lois, do you like Eggo waffles at during the show? Are you a fan of Eggo waffles? She makes cupcakes to die for, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Lois. Yes, she does. And, and she serves donuts on the uh, on the deck she did, did. Uh, in the morning on a, on a beautiful day. She does? Uh, yes, yep, that's right. Well, oh, to special guests. Almost a year ago. Yes. She's <laughs> <laughs> special guests. Not you, Juan yeah, Juan, over again. Luckily, that frostbite will heal up quickly in the warm temperatures, so one one. Wow. A quick question for everybody here, because yes. yep. uh, we have a uh, northern tier kind of crowd here tonight. Who remembers this time of year waffles for dinner? I eat waffles for dinner all the time. Oh, we would have well, waffles yeah, and pancakes yeah, for dinner, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure, when we were kids. Yeah. Ice cream on top of it. And didn't Definitely. you think as a kid you were getting over on it? Like, wow, we're having dessert. It's like dessert for dinner. For dinner. You know, yeah, you exactly. like, don't say anything at the table because yep. your folks haven't figured it out. It's that like they're a, serving dessert for Friday dinner. or Saturday night. But, of night. course, with the fried, uh, deep-fried Twinkie and uh, Oreo set, I'm yes. probably not even scratching the surface the here. Hey, listen, get a fried, get a deep fried Twinkie and get back to me, okay? Because they melt in your freaking mouth. I'm not kidding you. You anyway. can go to the uh, the Fiesta shows, uh, food booths, yes. and have nothing but dessert for dinner, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just be happy with it. Where is this get, place? You, you know, get a sugar letdown like crazy, but boom. Where is this? Love it. Where? Well. JJ, any where? of the any of the if the carnivals uh oh oh some reopen, yeah like a carnival oh, shows yeah. they're in the carnival well business. that's this place in, portable in, carnival in this Salisbury uh thing we were talking yeah. about off air very regional you can go to each each booth you you order right. ahead and they bring the stuff out to your car if you can believe it all right they do they bring yeah. bring yeah. out your car yeah yeah wow. absolutely uh, now out this way when you go to various shows one of the vendors often uh, it will be uh, a variety of Mackinac Island fudge. 
Oh, okay. that's and that is, yeah. uh, what's the like difference Like fudge or, or Mar- Murdoch's good. or whatever. Yeah, oh, yeah. Good mm-hmm. stuff, man. Is there any difference between, you know, California fudge, Massachusetts fudge? Well, at Mackinac yes. Island, which is in the Straits of Mackinac, uh, near near the Mackinac Bridge, is known for their fudge. So okay. this is right. this well, is the uh, hmm. the absolute uh, top. Of Can the- you send us some with a crinkle? I mean, a crinkle. I thought you, he was talking about a monster or something. You know, the crinkle from beneath the, the sea. Crinkle. Think of the crack. The crinkle pastry. It's it's a Wisconsin uh, favorite. Mm-hmm. But you know what? My friend that you speak of, she yes. never heard of him, and she basically grew up in Wisconsin. I know she's from Minnesota, There's but she something grew up wrong in Wisconsin. There. I'm going to quickly tell the story that I had about, um, and I have a witness here, about sneaking popcorn into a movie theater. Okay. We've had a few requests for this. So uh, I was on a date with Lois, and um, we were going to see some movie, and I just, I'm not going to pay nine bucks for the bag of popcorn because we had just recently found out that to make a bag of popcorn costs two cents and the bag costs four. Okay, all right. Four <laughs> cents, all right, because we know a guy at the theater. She does. So we said, listen, let's stop at the variety store, get two big bags of the cheese popcorn, put it on sure. and walk in. It's fine, right? Yep. So we do that. And um, and they cost 99 cents each and a lot of candy bars. So I have this. It's winter, and I I, I have my coat on, and, I, and I, I realize that the bags of popcorn are a little bit too big. I'm going to look funny walking in there. What kind of popcorn. coat did you have on? Like a way. long kind of winter coat. Like right? a trench coat, right? Was it a trench coat? Yeah, like a zip-up. Winter coat, like you'd shovel yeah. snow in, you know? Okay. But it looked too weird. It, 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 I didn't plan this out. So I thought, well, I'll let – go ahead, Lois. Fill in, please. It was It was not so much that it looked weird as much as um, the zipper – you know, it, it was obvious that we were bringing something Sneaking stuff in, okay? So, <laughs> Me? So, Did you have a mouse in your pocket? It's a real cold <laughs> day, too. So I said, well – I'll just let the air out of the bag. Oh, yeah. There you go. All right. And it will compress, right? So, yes. so we're doing this as we're walking in. Oh, so I go, and okay. I bet stealthily. Boom. I bet you and are an image of There's people the all around us. It exploded in popcorn all around it was, us. Right? With the Pink Panther music in the background. Exploded. Right? Literally exploded. It just, right? And there's popcorn everywhere. There's dozens of people around. Okay? And we're like, Whoa. But here's the punchline. What happens is a flock of seagulls come down and start eating the popcorn and running. People are running. Ugh. Didn't that, that happen, Lois, correct? Oh, you can't make it up. It absolutely happened. And I just walked in and said, two tickets, please. You know, I got seagull shit all over me. So to the be box cool. office was outdoors. No, it was indoors. We're going we're as. Indoors. Where the seagulls come from? They were waiting. It says this is Cinemagic in Salisbury. As we're going in the oh, front okay, door, all right. yeah. we were walking. We're in. walking in, and yeah. Psh, okay, yeah, it was a physics thing, and I think it was like you know ten degrees out. It was uh, kind of weird. Anyway, you know, Mac, <laughs> you bring up an interesting thing. I always thought as a kid that when you went to the theater and you looked at the candy in that showcase that yes. they had, yes. and then if you ever went to a jewelry store, the the the, the and then you look at the prices of the two, and it kind of aligns. Yeah, you right. Know? Yeah. Oh, yep. you know, you know. You, you come with big bucks if you're going to stop there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was I, – I remember guys – because mine was the Granada Theater in Malden. Oh, yeah. Malden, oh, I know it. Okay. Yeah, you, you did I you saw do some a hard work day's night, opening day, a hard day's night at the Granada, right? Well, you know, and they had the upper – they had the upper uh, the balcony. balcony area, yep. and then they closed that off and made two theater screens out of it. But we had guys – it was a yeah. it was an absolute art form. You could bring in six – nine coca-colas inside your jacket yeah cool another guy would have like all the candy bars and you know 
you can only imagine what the cleaning guy must have they thought him when candy. he got to this one spot yeah, because right. there had to be about eight bucks in returnables by the time we were done. <laughs> you know, we would just have that thing completely decked out. Yeah. And it got to the point like you weren't even talking quiet. You know, you, it, it was like a beach party. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. hey, you get an extra Coke? Yeah, yeah, here you go. Here, no problem. No. Oh, man. Stuff lined oh. up in the coats. And it was always my dad's uh, field jacket. That was like, you know, with the, with the 12 pockets cool. and the inside parts of it. Put the collar up. And no one was going to well, bother nice. you with the collar. Put yeah, the, yeah. You know, the stocking cap, the watch cap down to your eyeball, and in you go. And, well, of course, that led to other uh, enterprises, uh, but we won't go into that now. Do you remember What's that piece? Is that nobody cares now about that. Hey, about what? Well, let me read the line to you that just someone sent me while we were doing the show. Okay. Because uh, I, I think it really, really sums up where, where we are. Uh, let's see. J. L. P. Hartley did in his immortal opening sentence of his novel, The Go-Between. The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. That's us, boys exactly. and girl. That's us. Are you on the air? Anyway, listen. Why don't we do this? I remember the sign. It said, no outside food uh, on the premises. Hey, do you remember when they started checking uh, like your yeah, uh, girlfriend they, or wife's purse? Yeah, they and they kind of looked you over there. It, uh, it wasn't quite an airport uh, you know, check, but it was getting pretty close. It wasn't a tape. TSA strip down, but it's pretty close to it. <laughs> You ever see that? Remember the Three Stooges where they're on each other's shoulders and they're walking and they look like yeah, yeah. that's how I felt. Like, that's what I looked like going in with the popcorn. <clears throat> but anyway, let's talk. Oh, they're to trying to get in. They're trying to get into this thing, and they they went into the men's room and they pull out the the knobs that say press. Press, 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 pull. Pull. Wow. Now we're now we're talking Stooges. Where? How do we get that? How do we get here? Cobra started it. I really like the side. Right All I asked is if you guys remember having waffles for dinner. That's it. That's what started us down this path. Okay. Now we end up at the Cinemagic. There's like a scene from Hitchcock with the birds. Seagulls. I mean, it was it, it was a great ride. Better stop. The next stop is the Marx Brothers. So there you go. Better. They were yeah. great. Night at the Opera. The opera yep. this day at the races. Uh, duck soup. Duck soup. Hey, and and, and you want a Dr. Hack in the bush, you get a Dr. Hack in the bush. <laughs> favorite restaurant up here in Farmington, they have uh, Farmer's Kitchen. They have uh, stuffed go. waffles and stuffed French toast. Wow. What are they stuffing many with? times. What are they stuffing with? Times. It's kind of like a, a, an egg. It's sort of like a, an eggs Benedict kind of a composition. Uh, You're killing me. Lots of cheesy, eggy stuff. Mrs. Cobra does the French toast stuff with a cream cheese, which is oh and, uh, another sauce. It's quite tasty. Yeah, I, there you go. I eat a half a slice of bread for breakfast. What are you guys doing with the waffle? <laughs> Come on. Well, I'm, I'm kind of the same thing, Mac. I mean, I, if you, I don't eat that uh, on, a, on a regular basis. <laughs> right. But I know In the fact, drink. I am doing very well on the weight loss. Oh, really? Almost, yeah. Almost a goal. Almost a goal. Almost a goal. Why? Why? You don't look like you need to lose weight. Did someone tell it? Um, yeah, I, I've, I want to be 220 or less, so... Hovering, I'm hovering right at 222. Man, I want to be buff like you, Cobra. I really do. We all do. Get yourself some goats, buddy. Go back <laughs> like, to getting uh, goats. Okay? Like Is Hugh that Jackman. the secret? <laughs> buff like Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Hey, you should start the goat yoga there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dude, the problem with goat yoga for me, oh, and okay. I have enjoyed the, uh, the, the, the stimulating and muscle-relaxing tipper-tapper of their little cloven hoofs on my back <laughs> many times but the problem is is that when they get parked on me they like to stop and have a pee and that's the next level right. of goat yoga that I'm some not people are into so, that that's, that's i know there's love. a lot of people into it but i'm not one of them Matt. okay all right well there's, there's you have still, to be, there's still time to be, them. that's the point you have to be one of the men that stares at goats there you, there go. you go i don't <laughs> leave it a switch and bring it back around listen let's talk about green fireballs i mean why not right not the candy kids not, not the, the candy, candy. Now, now this is something I've heard about 
you know, since I was a kid, but I never really kind of looked into it. But this is very, very strange stuff, okay? This is a real, like, military X-file. So this is what happened. If you can imagine in the late 40s, early 50s, the U.S. is testing nuclear weapons. They're testing the size of nuclear weapons, and they're also very interested in what happens to the radioactivity after something is exploded. And, and, and how dangerous is it? So um, a number of these tests were done in uh, what's called the Nevada Test Range, which is north of Las Vegas, big open desert. It's where Area 51 eventually wound up. And also done in Los Alamos, New Mexico, um, where a lot of the technical stuff was done. That's where the first atomic bomb was exploded, so on and so forth. Now, in the 50s, they have these huge weapons, but they're not really sure of all the things they can do, you know, good, bad, whatever. So they're doing these tests. Now, um, they, did the, they did this one test. What, what would happen is, generally speaking, is that when they would do a test and the mushroom cloud would basically rise into the atmosphere and the radioactive cloud would either go west, south, whatever, um, and they would follow that. All but by the way, Mac, let's let's give them the name of like one. Uh, they, they had really bizarre names for yes. these tests. Yeah. One of them was the Buster Easy yeah, Buster, Atomic Test, Buster November fifth, fifty one. Right. What is that? You know, and and it was stuff like Danger Able and stuff. That they they gave them kind of kooky names. So they, so so they were interested like in the explosion, but also where the radioactivity went, how 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 potent it was, hundred miles, five hundred miles away. So. But then these green fireballs start showing up. Now, they didn't show up over the explosions themselves, which in a way might have made sense. But they showed up in the radioactivity cloud a day later, a few hours later, a day later. It was almost as if they were studying the radioactivity, the radioactive cloud. Now, just to describe these things, they were literally green fireballs. And a uh, pilot... And a Pioneer airline from years and years and years ago, he said he described one. He said, if you can imagine something the size of a softball, so green that it's almost blinding, heading right for you at tremendous speed. That's what these things look like. Um, some people thought when they saw them that they were meteorites, but the thing is they flew horizontally. Okay, um, they, and, and once again, they would show up in these showers, not where the explosion happened, but where the radioactive cloud wound up. 12 hours, 24 hours later. No one ever figured out what they were. Um, no one has, this happened in the 50s. No one has come forth and said, hey, I worked on this program. The, now, the, 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 the scientists at Los Alamos, and Switch, jump in here anytime you want. The, the scientists there thought that they might be some kind of secret surveillance device that is measuring radioactivity. But as some person had interviewed them or talked to them, they said, well, we'd be the guys who would have that. We'd be the guys who would want that information, you know, how lethal is the radioactive cloud and so on and so forth. But they said there it wasn't was a, us. There was another, uh, when they were talking about it, that was actually Captain Edward Ruppelt, who was, the, of course, the head of Project Blue Book for a while. He, he actually revealed in uh, the report on Unidentified Flying Objects that he was talking to some of these scientists. It was kind of an informal uh, discussion. And, you know, a lot they went through, like you said, the, uh, the standard, like, well, maybe it's some kind of natural phenomenon or whatever. Uh, but... Uh, some of them actually privately said that they actually thought these are these are scientists from Los Alamos that these could there could be some kind of an extraterrestrial craft mm -hmm. hundreds of miles uh, around the Earth and that, that these were sending down these sort of test 
they didn't say drones or whatever, but test craft down to these pre. They actually considered the possibility right. these might be extraterrestrial. This is the, now these are the the the, the, the uh, Los Alamos scientists talking to Rupert, who was running Project Blue Book at the time. You know, they probably figured, well, this guy. You know, if we're going to tell anyone, we'll tell this guy. But the the thing is, is like they they give an they give a um, an example, and it was that was it Buster Easy. Was that the? Yeah, the, that was that was the one on November fifth, nineteen fifty one, eight thirty a.m. Wow! And okay. uh, it was uh, it, this one even came to the attention of the New York Times. It said because they, they saw several of these fireballs. It says Southwest's seven fireballs in eleven days without parallel in history. Mm -hmm. See, someone oh. these you know these people knew that um, um, meteorites, which uh, what a lot of people thought these things were. Um, actually fall on the earth. We were talking about this on the way up. Uh, and not on a regular basis, but they're predictable. You know, you go through media showers and all that kind of stuff. You know there's going to be a lot of meteors in July, not that many in November, whatever. But by average, five medias, meteorites fall on the U.S. every month across the U.S., okay? Mm -hmm. uh, people would see seven, eight of these things in, in, in 24 hours. So they couldn't have been meteorites because the, some scientists said, if meteorites are dropping on us that you know that often, you know they're they're going to bombard us out of you know, um, they'll destroy the earth if it keeps on going. There was actually a, a doctor, Lincoln Lapaz, who uh, he was a meteor expert at the University of New Mexico, and uh, he had uh, he'd actually seen, witnessed some of these, and he said, "Look, there's no way this is a natural phenomenon. They're not meteors." And he thought that at that time that perhaps the military had some kind of a secret project, or they might even be some kind of a, a secret Soviet spy device. Mm -hmm. But there's no way the Soviets had that kind of technology back then, you know. And in 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 what you know, it seemed like they were doing some kind of research. Let's say, you know, it seemed like they were they were doing some kind of scientific study. But that if you can sit down with the but the, the unusual thing was that the witnesses for these are these kind of scientists, these atomic scientists. All right, they're not you know some Joe on the street, and they were convinced it was someone else. But once again, they said, well, if it's someone else, why aren't they telling us that we're the people who should know, uh, you know, about the after effects of an, of an explosion? And now here's the weird thing to me is that not only did they sh did these fireballs show up, over, you know, over radioactive clouds, but they showed up over Sandia uh, National Laboratories. They showed up over places where atomic weapons were stored and where atomic weapons were manufactured. That's very odd. And uh, switch, correct me if I'm wrong, they never found that they were like the— um, Ghost rockets. They never found anything no, on the it, ground. It, it, or, you know. And they followed, the, the, like you said, the, the key was that they would follow these clouds, uh, which is kind of scary. The, these radioactive clouds are going over different, different parts of the U.S. There was, a, By the way, there was a guy named uh, Professor Ernest J. Steinglass of Pittsburgh University. He was a uh, professor of radiation physics. He believed that, uh, that there was the strontium-90, that when these clouds would go over certain areas of the U.S., you could find... Uh, the number of infant deaths would arise would arise mm. slightly with the uh, with these clouds going over, and they would dissipate in the same way we know radiation to dissipate. But they had something like uh, fifty uh, stations to detect the fallout, so they really knew where this stuff was going. Mm -hmm. And it is really strange that that's predominantly, not exclusively, but predominantly where these green fireballs would show up afterwards, uh, following the fallout clouds, the radio right. radioactive clouds. I think it was in uh, the New York Times or someone. What they did is they they looked at one of these tests, and um, which happened in Nevada, and the winds were blowing from the west. So they detonate the bomb, and the cloud goes down to Arizona, and then it goes down to um, southern New Mexico, 
northern Mexico and West Texas, okay, that area, right? That's where the cloud went. The next day, where do you think green fireballs were seen? In those areas. You know, so it really does seem like they're dropping something into the cloud, you know, to but but who? You know, who did it? And the fact that they showed up over these manufacturing sites, they showed up over the research sites, no one has ever come forward and said we did this, you know, no one has ever come forward with any kind of an explanation. They don't Here's drop a, to the ground or anything, these fireballs. They never see them. Kinda, they don't have not, any trail. Not that yeah. they could ever find. Right. Uh, there was a series of sightings that happened in uh, in uh, Australia and New Zealand. And Dr. Stephen Hughes, uh, who is a meteorologist and an atmospheric physicist, uh, was really uh, triggered by these things. And his theory is, is that it's uh, a form of electrified air. Um but it includes things like antimatter, light bubbles, mm-hmm. microwaves, uh, interference, oh, fried um, Twinkies. Yeah, all those, <laughs> all those things added in there. But if you think about that, it, that would fit when you have these atomic detonations, these surface detonations that they were doing in the, in the fifties. The interesting part is I've never seen anybody talk about these with the Pacific tests. Mm. Um, the hydrogen bomb was ch- uh, tested um, in the bikini atolls yes, I was in the Pacific. Say. That's and they took all these ships, you know, that were being decommissioned. They wanted to study what was going to happen that's into uh, detonations at sea um, and what was going to, to uh, occur to the ships. And, of course, if you go back to some of the, the films of the 50s, there were troops actually in hmm. uh, foxholes on some of the later detonations in New Mexico. Tell us what happens. And, and after the explosion, they the whistle would blow and they were told to run towards the uh, – now, I mean, they were quite a ways away. You, you would never obviously survive. The, run towards uh, the cloud. Run towards the cloud. Yeah, run towards where the light was. What could go wrong? Um, and uh, there was a huge amount of uh, radioactive uh, poisoning that occurred. And, you know, it was another huge problem uh, for veterans uh, mm-hmm. to, to combat that years later. Right. So uh, it's interesting that, Mac, do you remember that film I sent you about a year ago of the guy that captured ball lightning? Uh, you were f- completely, as me, just freaked out. It, yes. it, it shows a guy at a railway station and like in Germany, mm-hmm. and it comes down and it goes across the, the road that is by mm-hmm. the tracks, and it moves all around, mm-hmm. and the guy's talking a mile a minute. I, I, I can't believe he could keep his hands that steady. Yeah, um, well, and it was this phenomenon of ball lightning. But well, this yeah. particular aspect of the green fireball is pretty interesting stuff. And I tend to think that there is um, no, not one answer fits all for all occasions on this. Well, you know, I was going to bring I was going to mention that that's where we get the word bikini from is that's where they did atomic right. tests out in the bikini at all, as it turns out. But um, what? yeah, that's where it comes from. But, you know, it, that's interesting because there was never any report of these things over those tests. And I've never heard anything like from Russia or any other countries who have exploded atom bombs. But, but once again, you know, I know that there are, I know you keep some secrets forever. There are some military top secrets from World War One, believe it or not, that cannot be revealed. And supposedly they have to do with codes and stuff like that. They don't want out. But, you know, I mean, if we had some kind of a, well, once again, the strange thing about these things, they had no trail. They had no, they were fireballs. They looked like they were on fire, but they didn't leave a smoky trail, which is odd. And they flew horizontally, which which was odd. But And there's no consumption of anything around it, meaning you don't hear, uh, there's not a lot of talk no of like crackling sounds. No noise. It doesn't seem to be interacting uh, with uh, oxygen. Didn't they, uh, um, didn't they affect TV though, uh, Switch? Did I read that? They affect yeah, TV I, and radio? 
you know, I some, didn't, didn't recall that. Yeah, something uh, like that. There was some kind of interference and everything. But so so let's say you know the U.S. had some kind of whiz bang thing that could, for some reason, fly through radioactive clouds and take measurements. Wouldn't we know about it 70 years ago? Who cares about and, something and what, like that? What's the connection with the tests? Is it something the tests inadvertently created or did we create it afterwards? Here's the name of another uh, another one of these uh, explosions, these bombs. Uh, Operation Tumbler Snapper Shot Able, April 1st, 1952. Yeah. And this debris cloud moved to the east over the uh, central plain states, including North Texas. Uh, the Denton Record Chronicle. Uh, their, their headline was meteor or flying saucer, fiery, fast moving objects sighted over skies in Texas. And they estimated it going about 800 miles per hour. Yeah, that's pretty fast. Wow. Faster than the speed of sound. So, you know, boom. So, l- let me l- leave you with this last part from this Dr. Hughes, who I thought had some pretty interesting part. Okay. He, he talks about it that anything that shoots to the atmosphere like a meteor would be creating a conductive pathway from the ionosphere, a whole ocean of plasma above the earth down to the ground and the air becomes electrified. Okay. And he goes on to say, and it, it makes, do the ionized oxygen, which accounts for the striking greens of the Aurora Borealis, okay. and also yep. be the uh, Australis as well, also known as Northern and Southern lights. Now that is a pretty crazy phenomenon. If you've ever seen it yep. uh, up in the Northern uh, and ultimately the Southern latitudes to watch the sky, what it does. But it's still not balls. It's, no, it's not. No. It's not these. That's you know, what she said. Moving hard. It, it's obvious that this is a, a very uh, you know large, uh, in the air, high in the atmosphere, connected kind of uh, reaction. I, I want to ask Lois something. Lois, did you ever see the Aurora Borealis? No, but the, as you were talking and saying that there are green flashes. Yes. I mean green balls. I thought of the green flash at sure. You know, and I. It's interesting that it's green, mm-hmm. and the green shows up at sunset at certain when certain atmospheric mm-hmm. conditions allow that. Um, so they're not so necessarily green. Some kind of reaction. Yeah. They don't have to be green. They just oh, they don't. Mm. Yeah, that's some strange. Some weren't, or they all were. They were all green. They're all green. But but if you were shooting something through the atmosphere, as Coco just said, it would be green. We've seen meteorites that are green. You know what I right. mean? You know? It's the ionization of the oxygen that's right. doing that. So these things aren't necessarily green. have to be green. They're fireballs. But the thing is, like, they they move very fast. Now, in the 50s, you would just, you know, you hadn't even broken the, um, the sound barrier with jets yet. Okay? I mean, a, a supersonic jet was, you know, on the table, let's say. These things are going 200 miles faster than the speed of sound. And that's that's pretty quick for horizontal flight. Yeah. And to bring this really onto the edge of the fringe, uh, at this time when you look at the various contactees and the, the people that believed they were channeling the Space Brothers like uh, George Van Tassel under Giant Rock yes. in uh, California, the messages they were getting supposedly from the Space Brothers was that these green fireballs were actually sent by the Space Brothers to counteract our radio- radioactive experiments or yeah. our radioactive scare us uh, away. explosions. Scare us and that away. Was, it's interesting that they, they brought that up without ever, you know, they weren't really... Uh, people weren't necessarily making the connection between the fireballs, I think, and these atomic tests. Explain the, the uh, explain the Space Brothers. Who were they? 
Well, they were uh, the uh, in the 50s and 60s, you had a, a group of people like George Adamski and uh, Orfeo Angelusi that claimed they were in contact with people like uh, uh, Venusians. These, we would call them the Nordics now, nowadays, these these tall uh, sort of uh, uh, movie star looking uh, uh, entities Ooh. with long flowing hair and messages of peace, love and brotherhood. Really? They would come in these, these beautiful bell-shaped craft. I always and, think of Mac when you say stuff like why? that. Why? I was thinking I, of you. I, I was thinking the same thing. But, uh, <laughs> but also you had people that were uh, supposedly channeling these entities where they didn't actually meet necessarily, but the uh, the channelers would, their, their, the timbre of their voice would change, they'd become deep, and they would uh, start spewing all this, uh, uh, sometimes mumbo-jumbo, sometimes oh, it would sound Now I'm thinking of one one, okay. But mumbo jumbo, that's me. But but they they would specifically would ask about these uh, green fireballs that were being seen at the time, and they were told more than one source. They were told that yes, they, these come from the space brothers, well, and they're trying to counteract the radiate the radioactive fallout from these atomic. Well, tests. they failed in that for one thing, and 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 number two, if you see something in the New York Times, of course you're going to say if you're a space brother, you're going to want to jump on it, you know. Of course, they're going to say. Well, just, did they? Uh, I, did, you, Mac, are you doubting the Space Brothers? Yes, I am. Okay. Okay. Well, the New York Times. Do you end that with a U? Oh, the New York Times. Take a pick. Okay. So, so, but you know what I mean? Like, if did they mention the green fireballs before anyone saw green fireballs? No, no, they were they were in, in response to people actually seeing them. They jumped on the way. The the most the, the the most intriguing thing is what Coco just said is that there was no reports of these at. You know, you know those Pacific tests, which did a lot of testing up there. So that's very odd. You know, I mean, why not over the ocean? That's well, a rhetorical question. Okay. <laughs> well, so we I think we turned it into a Socratic one. Sorry about that, Mike. Okay, sorry. Still we haven't it. seen any of these fireballs since. No, right? they they kind of went away. I mean, people do see them, but uh, not in the this kind of regularity and the um, almost routine. These things showing up after. A nuclear test, and then they did kind of go away, you know. So very strange, really, yeah. really odd, you know. Not quite UFOs, not quite flying saucers, but in effect, no one has has ever come forward. No one has ever, you know, uncovered it in a Freedom of Information Act. Maybe we should try to do that. But in the fact that a lot of the witnesses were pilots and scientists themselves uh, makes it kind of intriguing. Hey, you're listening to Mac Maloney's Mill Tracks Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. Why don't we take a quick break now? And calm down, and we'll be right back after this. Please stay tuned. It's early medieval Europe. Norse marauders are pouring down from the north. Steppe riders threaten from the east, and Moorish raiders are surging up from the south. Now, as the Vikings planned an invasion of Ireland, the country's aging king must somehow protect his nation. But who is up to the task? Nordic sagas tell us an obscure and unlikely hero arises to save his people. Wolf of Klontarf leaps into history as a nightmare to the Norse and Avenger for the Celts. It's Vikings meets Braveheart as this legendary Irish warrior, some medieval special operations forces, and a young woman spy help the Irish king defeat the Viking invaders. It's a tale spanning 15 years and leading up to the most decisive battle of the Middle Ages. That's Wolf of Klontarf, a new novel from Thomas J. Howley, now on Amazon.
Welcome back, everyone, to Macaroni's Mill Track Style Show here on the Distant Thunder Radio Network. This is Macaroni. Wow, what a show we have for you tonight. Let me introduce the posse, okay? Uh, the very famous one, one is here, girls. Hello, Mac. Hello, girls. If you're still and guys, here, and all ships at sea, welcome. If you've back survived the, the vapors. All right. Now, listen. I, I what? You have a little bit. Not you. You have a side lighting thing going on. You get your you get your your, your beatnik thing. No, you look very kind of oh, oh don't do that. <laughs> That's you know, if I had a gun I'd shoot you. It it really highlights the soul patch. It nicely. sure really does. <laughs> anyway, that voice you hear is up in the great state of Maine looking out the slits at the rest of us. They know us Coco in the streets, we know us Mandacoma. Hey, listen, you know, we haven't saluted him in a long time, and I'm getting letters from his agent. So mm-hmm. let me introduce everyone else, and then we'll salute him. Up there in the bowl of flakes, he's making me hungry for waffles. Switchblade Steve Wood. It is great to be here tonight. Switch. Just yes. tell us again. Tell us again <laughs> what you have for breakfast. For breakfast this morning, I had two Eggo waffles, frozen waffles. Can you put talk in the a little toaster, slow? Went through one cycle, but it's not quite enough. You got to get a look right. at it. You put it, put it again, but it's not not complete cycle. Second cycle yes. isn't good. Could burn them. Yes. So while that's going on, I took my my Jimmy Dean uh, sausage, sausage. patties, yes. wrapped them in uh, paper towels, put it in the Oops. microwave for 50 seconds. Right. Okay. Got the plate out. Got the syrup ready. Log cabin syrup. I've got the Land O'Lakes uh, uh, butter, butter, but not the not the stick. I got the creamy stuff, so you don't have to. You don't have to melt it. We're all set. And and the coffee's brewing at the same time, so cool. it's all all time. Yep. It's all ready to go at one time because you don't want to wait for your coffee while your waffles get cold. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's a, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good. That's wow, a t-shirt. That's uh, wow, wow. I'm going to eat breakfast over at your house one of these days. Uh, I, listen, yeah. I'll make you breakfast. I know. Just okay, that sounds it. good. Okay. And right. we've, got a, we've got a drive-thru, too. <laughs> Do you really? Okay. <laughs> well, the, the window. You know, what a switch is. Yeah, they throw the <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Also joining us uh, is someone who knows a lot about cooking, baking. Uh, the very lovely Lois Lane is with us tonight. Hey, Lois. Hi, Lois. Hi, everyone. <laughs> what do you think so far? This is the first time you've ever been in the studio with us. She's just the nodding, whole experience, nodding the whole her head. Shot, yeah. you know. That's it. But my uh, first adventure on Mac Maloney's Military X Files as a guest, talking about the Mothman. Oh. Uh, re- a star reporter, Lois Lane, was there. Oh, you were you were at the old questions. studio. Yep. That's right. Yeah, that is true. I was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is fascinating. Fascinating stuff. That's the word you chose. Fascinating. There's a lot of electromagnetic energy in That's, that building. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? Well, I, I'm trying. I have all the lights on. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Well, you, you worried about Bob? Yeah, uh, please. Huh? I'm all alone in this section, so yeah. I'm the one. Nothing to worry about. I'm that's the right. one worried about Bob. That's that's when we see Bob as in the as only in connection the bright that brings light. Bob is when Mac and Juan Juan are there. Oh, that's, that's, how dare you? That's not true. That's the kind thing. of energy sink that he needs no, to be no. there. Go to back. Warm up. Go back one month of shows, and the door opens while we're on the air. Okay, and one one was nowhere to be found. Believe me. That's true. I was up here. This is anyway. not the same Bob that was uh, in Twin Peaks, right? No, it could be. Okay. It's Bob the Ghost. He was an engineer here for years. He lived next door, and he dropped dead here. Okay. You, you realize that I'm alone. I'm right down the I'm right down the hall from you there, cutie. Uh, yeah, well, it just just takes a second. Okay. Yeah, but who's closest to the exit? If she, well, she yeah, is. Matt, would, Matt would be to your aid, like She's close to the yes. like, like like a ball of green energy. Right. He would be right green there. Green fireball. <laughs> so anyway, well, we uh, we talked about green fireballs earlier uh, in the show, and we were also talking off air about who or what was the um, what machine broke 
the sound barrier. And uh, you have a trick question for me there, Coco? Well, yeah, not oh, exactly to that particular part. Okay. You mentioned a serial show, Something Cody. Could you say the uh, Commander the Cody? Was? Say it one more time. Commander Cody. Yeah, could you spell that word? Because you're not you're saying it fast, and I can't hear you saying Commander. it. Commander. Commander. No, it's Cody. Commando yes. Cody. It was Commando, right? Oh, Commando, Commando Cody. Cody. Yeah, we'll say I get mixed Commando. up, okay. hanging around with you. Uh, the, wow. uh, Lois, what were you going to say? You were going to say something. I was going to say, remember um, your the last guest you had last week talked about a Ouija board? Mm-hmm. Yes. Ouija. Phil Orbang. Ouija. Maybe you should do a special show with him and a Ouija board here. Well, we thought about yeah. that, but, uh, you but, know, the demon, uh, the people who believe in demons uh, went thumbs down on that. Oh. That's why, well, and plus we're I'd a radio cool show. I'd be cool with it. I'd go into I, the I'd studio. Do it. I'd do it, but. I yeah. would definitely not be here for that. You would definitely not, not be here. There's the double <laughs> negative. You have executive written all over you, Lois. I'm telling you right there. That's the kind of stuff I love. You can do why it. Why don't we try this? But I won't, I won't be, be there. there. <laughs> <laughs> That's executive okay. material right there. Perfect. You're going places, girl. You're going places. Okay. As it turns out, and I didn't get these uh, from the Ouija board, uh, our friend Phil Orbain is going to do two things. Uh, he researched a book. A long time ago, on military secrets of World War One. Okay, he's going to come on and talk about military secrets of World War One. Number two, he knows Mister Ouija. All right, he's the guy who lives down in Rhode Island. He's going to come on. He's going to tell us everything we want to know about Ouija boards. And the weird thing about Ouija is, didn't it just come up in a casual conversation like about a month ago? Where, how do how do we get on Ouija boards? Does well, anyone it, remember? It's always talked about it. We we seem to have these things that come up. Uh, they're parts of any paranormal story that seems like there's always some kind of a trigger Something. opening the doorway. It's the the connections with it, yeah. and then you know we've shared like my my wife will have absolutely nothing to do with. It. Right, that's what I mean. But but how would we do a Ouija board on the air? I mean, it, two at least two people have to be here, right? And you have to you know uh, yeah, touch that, knees or something. Helpful. Well, you can you can do it with one person though. Oh, okay. Who would do that in a haunted radio? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Huh. Well, I don't know. Maybe we can figure out some way to do it. And, you know, it, 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 can we bet with it? That's all I want to know. It, you know, can can it give us the line on the? People say you're playing with fire yeah. when you. Ha- well, I think you can bet with it. I just think you yeah. have to realize that the entity that you would be dealing with Needs is going to exact a pretty good price. Yeah, it's called a vig, ten percent. Sell your soul. Sell your soul. I have a question for Commander Cobra. Go ahead. That please. noise in the background is uh, Mrs. CC checking in on me. Sorry about the uh, the she's, ringing. I in thought she's supposed to be out. She's probably the... out of money or something like that. It needs. <laughs> oh, wow. That's... You know, th- can I throw a little electronic cash out? You're there? a romantic. Well, Bitcoin. Wow. Bitcoin. Yeah. Okay, Bitcoin. Yes, Commander Cobra. Where you brought up Commando Cody yeah, earlier. Commando Cody. Correct. You know what he was called? That character was called in the first serial. Okay, yeah. If you not, was it, was he, it he was just the Rocket Man. The Rocket yeah, Man. Was, I was going to say Rocket Man, but I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if that was the correct. It was treated like a secret identity. Yeah. And right. later on, he was uh, Commando Cody, and he went off to the moon, which was mm-hmm. some very cheesy special effects. And then in the third serial, Zombies from the Stratosphere, right. where actually uh, Leonard Nimoy played a, a bit part as an alien. Huh. Uh, he, they didn't, he was, did, was not called Commando Cody anymore. He was just called, he was just Larry Martin. Larry And then Martin. later on, there was a TV show where they, they brought him back and he was wearing a mask and all that mm-hmm. stuff. I, I remember what was cool about it was that he had, you know, almost like a fortress of sol- solitude. He lived in a mountain, you know, it, it, there's a lot of Batman elements to it. But he would fly right out of the mountain, and he was kind of, he was like a rocket man, yeah, literally. But man, and was, and they had those cheesy rocket ships, oh, those long uh, t- torpedo. That, that, well, oh, I, they, I love they, those special effects. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, the whole Flash Gordon 
and uh, Buck Rogers thing that they just, you know, had the sparkler for the, the back end exhaust <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and off right. you went to business. You, you can know, see the line, see the nylon. An interesting thing, an, an ode to Commando Cody is in a spy movie that came up later on. Uh, there was a Commander Cody that that is called out. He has a uh, detachment of helicopters, and they affect the rescue of a captured uh, spy, the CIA spy. Really? That was an ode to uh, Commando Cobra. Commander. Cody was uh, Commander Co- Cody in that movie. So, so he was say, as I am Commander Cobra, falling over all the uh, CCs in the room there. <laughs> okay. Of course, then there was uh, Commander Cody in the Lost Planet Airmen. Correct. Which was the, uh, oh. the the rock group? They lost Lost Planet Airmen. Oh, that's right. Was, that's right. Goofed was up. the Rocket Man serial the first one retitled as and condensed as a movie? They always changed the names of the movies. Yeah, they were a great band. Great kind of uh, retro fifties band in a way. Well, they used the same special effects, the same uh, techniques that they did with Captain Marvel about mm-hmm. ten years earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, right. Uh, with the guy flying on the wire and everything. I'm going to tell this story really short because we have like about three minutes, 18 seconds. Lois will remember this. I went on a long, long journey years ago trying to write a paperback book about Flash Gordon. I just went to my editor and said, hey, listen, Flash Gordon is a great space opera. We can have him go here, there, everywhere, blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay. And I had to go to King Syndicate, which is like a syndicate. And they were really bad. (laughs) And, you know, they want to like, you know, charge. They want to me to pay them to write the book basically but it was a long really painful journey and uh, it finally went nowhere and uh, about three or four months later someone pointed out to me that the guy who goes to all the different planets switch you would know this is buck rogers right uh well let's see uh well, with Flash Gordon, we just went to well, he went to a planet. He went Mongo. to Mingo, and Mingo, Mingo. was moving. Yeah, that, that was Mingo Emperor, moved Emperor, into the Emperor Ming on Mongo. It was Emperor Mingo. Ming on Mongo. I but he a... also went to Mars. Uh, okay. uh, Buck Rogers was frozen in. in uh, it wasn't suspended. It was sort of suspended animation. He got trapped in a mine with some kind of gas for five hundred years. I mean, okay. who hasn't? Not bad. And uh, it sucks when that happens. Well, you know, I got it mixed uh, up. So I spent nine months <laughs> looking up the wrong. You know, trying to get published the wrong guy. As it turns out, <laughs> Lois, do you remember that? Do you remember my tears? Should, should have done Captain Future. Captain oh, Future Captain was an Future. Edmund Hamilton yeah. uh, serial. It was back uh, back even before, I think it started writing it before they discovered Pluto. Really? I'm not yeah. sure about that. And but he was he was a little more advanced than uh, Flash Gordon, but not quite as hip or advanced as Captain Kirk. The, oh, but Captain a, a lot Kirk. of fun, okay. great space opera. Well, speaking about space opera, we are uh, getting to the end of the show, as it turns out. So why don't I Are do you the... saying that the lady that could rival a planet like the size of a moon is about to sing? Wow. Okay. That's offensive. If you mean, is the really? fat lady going to sing? Sure. Um, okay. So um... yeah, the way I said it was offensive, but the way you just so classically elocuted it like That's... Billy Shakespeare, well, that was, that was class. I went to film school. As what a wordsmith. Woo-hoo. Uh, let me do the plugs. Okay, uh, the People's Mosquito Project. Our uh, good friend Rashap, he and his uh, crazy English buddies are putting back together a World War II warplane built of wood with two big Rolls Royce engines on it. Talk about an airplane going fast! It it it, it was so fast in World War Two. At some points in World War Two, they didn't even put guns on it because they knew that they could just uh, you know outrun out, the bullets. Outrun the boys, right? The bullets. Unbelievable. Uh, when you have a chance, go to Cantina Italiano in the north end of Boston. Our friend Johnny. Down there, we'll take care of you. Make sure you said that uh, you know we sent you there. Uh, also, I can highly read these things. Okay, homes for troops, 
Homes for Our Troops, H-F-O-T. Uh, just Google them. They are a great charity. They spend almost 90 cents on the dollar. goes directly to uh, veterans to build homes for veterans of the Iraq War and also the Afghan War. Um, these are guys who, when they left, their home was just their home. When they came back, they're missing limbs and so on. And it's very hard for these guys to get around in a typical house. So at Homes for Our Troops, do they they design these houses? I think they they're they're wider, they're they're flatter. There's no yeah, they're, they're customized ex- for they're their customized, their particular right. needs, each one of them. And they can wheel. And, and I know you see people with prosthetic legs on and everything, and it looks like you know everything's okay. But those things are very uncomfortable. So they a lot of them prefer it to be in a wheelchair. Well, in these homes, they can just you know wheel around in the wheelchairs. There's no big cons or anything like that. Homes for our troops. They have a uh, special fun drive going on this month. Homes for our troops. Just look them up and throw them a few bucks. They're really good friends of the show. And um, I want to thank. It's uh, magnificent, too. I wouldn't mind having, <laughs> yeah, having they, the house built like that. Hey, they did a video of one that looked kind of cool yeah. to me, you know. So, um, you know, and, and those guys should. And, and what they do is they buy them the house and they and, and they give it to them. There's no mortgages, yeah, there's no right. bills. And, and they're not a sham. They've, they've done 495 of these things in the past 16 years. Um, you know, they're just great people. And. Um, and, and they're not like these charities that spend 50 cents on the charity and 50 cents on themselves, okay? It's not that scene. Um, homes for our troops. Uh, Google them. And like I say, throw them some money. And I should say now that we're also a podcast. Whoops, I'm running out of time. We're also a podcast. Uh, go to um, podbean.com, podbean.com, or go on to Alexa. Stitcher. Stitcher, everything. We're on 16 different pr- platforms. Spotify. Spotify. And uh, I'll go on Alexa and just say, Alexa, uh, play Mac Maloney's Military X-Files on Apple Podcasts, and boom, we or are else. there. Or else. right, exactly. So uh, I want to thank uh, um, our guest tonight, uh, Amy Martin, new FM Midnight, uh, the new network that we are on. Thanks also to our friend John for uh, writing uh, Star Trek books. His new book is coming out soon. Uh, Switchy, thank you for joining us. What's for breakfast tomorrow? Anything good? Uh, I think I'm going to go with the old standard. Uh, i got to use up the milk before the milk. it goes sour. So it'll be sugar, <laughs> frosted flakes. Really? You're not down the bottom of the box. you got a new box going. Oh, no. i got a new box, man. It's ready. Yeah, you went dust prime. Yeah, last week. Uh, Coco, thank you. As always. Do you, have a pa- do you have a final word or a passing word? Anything about the goats? Anything? Oh, I, I have a passing word, but it, it, we'll pass it. <laughs> okay, no. there you go. Juan, Juan. <laughs> thank you, Juan, for joining us. We'll talk to you soon, okay? <laughs> You're welcome. I, I look for this. I like the look. I'm mad for you, Taylor. Do you? Yes. Thank you. And thanks to okay. everyone for uh, listening in. Until the next time uh, you hear from us, this is Mac for the entire gang saying be safe, be happy, and bye-bye.